So many of you have heard me tell stories about Bodie Miller. He's an Olympic gold medalist, silver medalist, bronze medalist, world champion, downhill skier, and one of the most interesting human beings ever. He was also my very first true best friend, and that really changed my life. I learned so much from him, and we get to recap and reminisce on the full story of everything that transpired, and I actually get to learn some interesting things that I didn't even know about the impact that I had on his life because, of course, I'm aware of what an amazing impact that he had on my life. So I can't wait for you guys to really meet Bodie Miller in the way that I know him. But before we get started, I want to talk to you guys about Noni Juice. My uncle, David Marcus, started a Noni Juice company out in Hawaii. And I would go out there to see him, and I would go see the Noni trees. And Noni is a really interesting fruit. Now, it doesn't have the best smell when it's in the wild, but the juice when it's created properly, like the company Noni New Age that I'm working with now that has Tahitian Noni juice, it is one of the most healthful, nutrient-dense products, period. I mean, the benefits for Noni as it relates to the gut, as it relates to your immune function, as it relates to just overall health, is really overwhelming. And it's been something that fortunately, I've been able to engage with and utilize for many years. But my uncle, he's moved on and the farm isn't the same anymore, so my supply of noni juice ran dry. Until now, where I started to partner with Noni New Age so I could get that good noni juice back in my life. And if you guys haven't tried it, I really encourage you guys to give it a go. They've done a great job with the taste. They even have products that they mix with collagen. And it's really bringing noni to the next level. And it's just something that is really accretive to your health in a universal perspective. So if you're interested, go to noninewage.com. That's N-O-N-I newage.com slash Aubrey. And that'll save you 15% and give you free shipping. noninewage.com slash Aubrey for 15% off and free shipping. Thanks, fam. Fucking Bodhi. Been a long time coming. (laughs) Yeah, man, it has. It has. You know, one story that I tell people is you know a lot of people feel like they don't have like really good friends and they don't have like someone who they feel like oh man this is my fucking really good friend you know maybe because they've changed or maybe because they've never found that or whatever and i always tell that story about that one day we're out in that club in vegas and we're introduced by a mutual friend and it was this kind of weird thing where for the first time I noticed somebody who was looking at the world in similar ways that I was looking at the world <laughs> and we would like catch each other doing that. Yeah. And we were on really different paths at that time too, totally. where we were, but that was, you know, that, those are, those are those aha moments where you realize that like within the population of the planet, there's people who right then you can see the synergies and you can see the understanding, but it's much, it's at a, you know, it sounds cheesy, but it's at a much deeper level. So the superficial stuff of patterns for the day or pattern thought patterns, all that stuff are just unimportant really. And that's what the benefit of, you know, meeting those people is because you don't have any anxiety. There's no stress, you know, whatever direction you go, whatever things change longer term, shorter term, you know, priorities in life that, that there's, there's always that there, that that part never changes. And that's like, that's a remarkable thing and it's yeah it's uh we're soulmates dude that's yeah uh, that's, 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 that's good that's you know when you find yeah when you find that you're 
if you can, you're, you're lucky because you have somebody who always is right there, reliable, regardless of whether you don't see each other for long periods of time. In this, this case, that's exactly, you know, the yeah. last. But yet you feel like it hasn't been really much time at all. You know, it, time goes by quick. But yeah, it was, uh, it's such a vivid memory for me because I think there's a certain sense of loneliness in that I was seeing the world different than everybody was seeing the world. And I couldn't exactly explain to everybody what I was, I could try to talk about it, but it, it was, there was the imperceptible elements of like what you see and how and how your outlook is and i remember we were walking through and i think it was the mirage i think it was the mirage hotel that we were in as we're going out of the club and most of the time as you're leaving the club in vegas especially because those parties go late like people are just fucking they've they've diminished their consciousness to a level that they can't see anything at that point and we certainly tried. I mean, I gave it, yeah, we were we, giving it a good effort. We gave it, it was not, we gave it a good effort to, to really, <laughs> to really knock ourselves largely unconscious, but we're walking through and we both kept noticing the same shit. Whereas everybody else is just like fucking all yeah. over the place, yeah. ping pong all over. Yeah. And I was like, Oh shit. And I remember noticing a few things and then I would see you noticing a few things and we'd look at each other like, you saw that? And I was like, yeah, that's, it was just a very, it was a very fucking funny thing for me. Yeah, yeah, the thought you feel like you're on a thought island by yourself, you know, in the middle of right. a vast, um, you know, desert or, or ocean, and yeah, just having just having the knowledge that somebody else can can sort of relate in all the same aspects. And like I said, it's it's weird. It's hard to verbalize because it doesn't have to do with specifics. You know, it's not. It's it's more like it's more frequency or harmonics or something else where there's tangible evidence, like you said, when you spot the same things or you, or you can deduce the same things from situations or whatever, but um but i think it's also it happens also at a different level it's more subconscious and gives you like relaxes all the anxiety and tension and you just feel feel way more uh connected and and um you and also it's weird because it, what it does too and you and i have spoke about this a lot it allows you to trust your own ideas much more because you don't mm -hmm. feel like they're only yours you know right. in a certain sense you realize that that you share them with everyone else but even just moments before that connection happened, you felt like they were entirely your own and they're, they're these isolated things that could be, you know, you open yourself to criticism or anything else um, when you express yourself. And that's, I think that's, that's one of the huge values of it is it allows you to have a little bit more self-confidence in your beliefs and ideas that are happening inside all the time that you wouldn't express to anybody, um, which automatically gives you a whole different level of power. Yeah. I think one of the things that, you know, people can miss is maybe you find that kind of resonance with somebody but it, it still takes some it still takes some effort like you got to like keep in touch you know because we could have easily had that night and been like oh yeah it was so cool i met bodhi and then blah 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 and then whatever you know that would have been a one night thing yep. but i was like nah like let me get your number let's keep in touch let's like make all of the efforts necessary to like, duplicate this and like develop that friendship and uh and that's what ended up happening and it ended up you know being like the first real friendship the first person that i really looked at and was like wow this is a brother and someone who i can learn from someone that i can like enjoy and experience life with in a just a fucking radically different way yeah yeah and we had a i mean granted we were in a pretty privileged time i think both of us you know <clears throat> me competing and and you sort of breaking away and starting starting a company of your own and shit it was it was it was well before that though yeah yeah no i, I was, know but I you were right you were you were fully immersed in the sex toy world um <laughs> online but um but what i mean is like the time of our lives where we were you know we were young and fired up and tons of energy and tons of you know uh sort of that optimism you know and so uh -huh. when we spoke it was like 
we were both that tool for each other of like, you know, sounding board and optimism and, and enthusiasm and as a multiplier on both sides. And I think that's, that's an easy thing to, to sort of not, maybe not get addicted to, but that's primarily what people get addicted to is like things that make them feel awesome. And like, yeah. like they can do whatever they need to do and like, and that they have somebody on their team and that, you know, it's a collaborative effort. So I think that was that, you know, but I, I think we would have, honestly, we could have met when we were 65. We probably been like, yeah, yeah all right. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, no, I, I agree. It, it was, was also uh, the fact that we could both, I mean, we both, we like to drink and we like to party. But no matter how much we drunk or partied at the end of the night, our conversation, at least in my recollection, and we've had multiple opportunities to test that recollection in those days, it was it was not that we ever, like the, the conversation didn't degrade. No, it didn't evolve at all. It was in a lot you of know? cases, it would just, it would almost more for evolve forward, but sideways, you know, which I think is, that's what I always, that that was one of those really rare gifts is like, you saw me try to do that with other people. I was always trying to engage and it was like, <laughs> It was like talking to a monkey or a stump, you know, or some combination of the two. Um, yeah, with each tequila, yeah. their their ability to hold the conversation, the yeah, thread with just, you. You just see them glaze over a little <laughs> earlier. Um, and we, yeah, we had a lot of those really, really great, you know, sort of revolutionary thought processes and, and idea se- sessions, like late, late into like crazy, mm-hmm. crazy times. Which is, yeah, as I said, there's different states where your brain works different ways and. To not have somebody who you can actually communicate with, then to have to just devolve to the common denominator is painful sometimes when you're, um, you know, no doubt. And I, you know, I think we've probably both found those those things. We're like, all right, fuck it. If I drink enough, like this, this, I'll, this I'll, whole, I'll pull it off. I'll pull it off. I'll become like a stump thing. myself. <laughs> <laughs> I will stump myself, and this will be at least tolerable at a level of intoxication at blood alcohol, fucking. 3.5 you know I'll, we'll, we'll all be on the same wavelength it'll be good you know and we'll have fun tonight but in that in that situation that was that was always something that was different and something that i you know have since like looked for and the people that i really want to enjoy my time with it's just like a certain level of trust yeah. you know that you develop yeah absolutely and that's you know as as we've talked about you know it's you know who says which things to you and you know and that you know not not too long after that but you know several years where we had a pretty pretty deep connection relationship around the austin area and hanging out in other places around the the globe um when i was retiring um and you were you know you were one of the voices that kind of spoke out against that like hey you got to do this you know you gotta you gotta do one more there's more there and whereas most people were saying it, it was hard to interpret their motives or anything else. When it comes from the right person, you can easily see that there's a clear, proper motivation behind it. That it's just simply an analysis and giving good advice, and that allows you to, I guess, shift perspective easier without really any resistance. You know, normally there's all sorts of resistance to ideas or suggestions that come in. You have the stubborn side that's just like "fuck you," I'm not doing what you say just because <laughs> you just said it. But in the case where you have a really good relationship with somebody and, and a true sort of brotherhood, there's there's a way where it's it feels like your own idea. You're hearing it from your own voice in a sense in your head in a way that makes it not so repellent as other people's ideas yeah. in some cases. And that, you know, that was a, a remarkable, um, you know, shift as well. Because as I said, I didn't, nobody else, not in my life at home, family, friends around the world, coaches, anybody was able to really 
say things like that in a way that actually made it resonate with me and that was uh you know obviously a really important shift for yeah, me I maturing that. wise I that and, conversation and and i shut you down at the time i was like sorry dude no shit's shit's done this ship, was, ship this, has was sailed. Pre, this is pre your gold medal yeah pre-vancouver yeah, um pre-vancouver and and uh yeah i mean i was i and I'd, I'd gone through everything honestly and i was very comfortable and confident with my decision but won your world it, championships you it got takes, fucking super frustrated with the olympics yeah, brutal, you've done all your brutal. Yeah. yeah it was a it was a you know again it was a dark time and that's when you need you need really logical or you know empowered people to to give you advice or give you you know st- you know some direction and um yeah it was it was one of those times where like i said there's been a lot of them obviously between us um but that was a really critical one where i just didn't feel like there was anybody else i mean probably there's another person on the planet maybe but at that time there was it was only one you know one direction that that it worked and made sense and that was a hugely impactful you know conversation um for me that that changed entirely my maturation process the way i thought and what i left behind in the sport and and uh you know my understanding of myself and and a lot of different dynamics shifted from that 09 till you know till really i retired in sure. 15 it was like and that it's crazy to think that i mean you know not to blow your blow smoke up your ass but that was that was you know almost 100 percent. i would say i mean if not 100 percent, then right there at 100 percent due to the conversation we had without that I, it certainly doesn't happen and there's a whole different path in front of us and and who knows where that goes so yeah it's a it's a good thing to be able to reflect back and put the right values on onto the right conversations because yeah. again at the time you don't know it could have been one of those things that didn't happen and you would have been like all right it didn't happen but you know you got to put your two cents in there and, and commit the energy to to steering people when you think you have valuable perspective and too many people i think keep their mouth shut in those yeah. moments and, and look and i remember i remember other times i remember one time that when we were first getting to know each other i remember you had a race the next day and we were hanging out and I was, and then you ordered. And I shut that one you, down. You, on you shut that one down. So I, so you're ordering a drink, and you're like, I think you're getting a shot of like whiskey or something tequila. like that. Tequila, yeah. yeah. And I was like, you sure, in the, man? In the got, hungry, the hungry moose, I believe. Or, <laughs> yeah, something like Beaver that. Creek. I was like, you sure, man? You got a race tomorrow? Like, you sure you want to do that? And you just looked at me dead in the eye, and you're like, actually, bartender, I'll have three <laughs> shots. And you just look at me in the eye and fucking hammer all three, and I was like heard i was like you want to keep going <laughs> want to keep going on that <laughs> yes there's a good chance i pay for this tomorrow and i believe i did i freaking ragdolled myself the next day and was so sore but but yep. it was an important and valuable lesson exactly. where at that point i was like okay i get it like you share your information not saying it'll be listened to but share away but after that moment it was like no no man you're gonna do you're gonna do your fucking thing and like i get it gave me like a faith in a faith in you and i think also helped me because that that was an idea that you have that I, I i came with a preconceived notion without actually knowing you so it's this idea that came from some socialization about what an athlete should do and what what this what you should say if you're a friend and all of this mm-hmm. other bullshit that yeah. had nothing to do with our personal relationship right. and so i said that and you could fucking sense that and you're mm-hmm. like uh-uh like right. this is not the way this friendship right. it was goes. A, it was a cautionary it was a cautionary comment that had nothing to do with the actual reality or desires right. or what our spirits kind of need at that time and that that's it's been an ongoing discussion for me with internally for the last 25 years is like i knew i mean i told you about that i knew i was putting myself in in you know serious risk jeopardy a lot of times with my behavior but i i always sort of 
would look inside. It wasn't impulsive and it wasn't just macho. I never did things for those reasons. I did them because I knew internally that, you know, for me, it's always been a balance. Everything's a balance. And if I don't balance it out, I pay one way or the other. And I'd rather pay on the fun side and I'll take a crash. I'm not scared of crash and I've done it enough times, (laughs) but but I'll do it. I'll err on that side versus the other side because I feel like Lance is on the other side. You know, that's that side of like, of dishonesty of like sacrificing everything for something that's not really yours that you don't have ownership of that at the end of the day adds less value to everybody around you and uh yeah that was one of those examples where you know i certainly got my wrist slapped proverbially by the universe the next day but at the same time we had an amazing night and it was super fun and the value of that never you know can't be diminished by the fact that i punish myself in the course the next day it's kind of you know well and then since learning that there'd be other nights where there'd be other people around us and i'd watch them have their own cautionary apprehension i'd be like no like fucking trust this dude (laughs) like trust the dude and i remember one of those one of those nights where it was like one of the trust the dude nights like we went after it Mm -hmm. in beaver creek like we fucking went after it and we and and i don't know how much sleep you got that night but it was it was sub three hours yeah it was a very small amount <laughs> and it was <laughs> and i watched you go out and i woke up that next morning and i was out there and i was fucking banged yeah and i'm sure that i'm sure that you were you were in your own you know in your own way that way but i watched you go down there and fucking annihilate the yeah. best in the world yeah dominated that run and win and win that <laughs> race and it was just like a fucking beautiful thing to see for me i was actually one of the points too where when you have somebody because naturally people are like a little bit competitive and a little shitty and even like some party you'll be rooting for your friend but some party you'll be yeah. like rooting for them not yeah. to win but there's no way that i was any fraction less excited i was probably actually way more excited and if you been doing it yourself than than doing it myself yeah. yeah and feeling that feeling that is such a fucking good feeling yeah. yeah, yeah, it's the it's the true dissolving of the ego right there is where you actually get to experience things without the layers. Even if you're good at it, or even if it's your kids, you know, you see it all the time with parents who go mental over their kids when they're playing sports, and that's just because they they're still so attached to their own their own ego. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a battle internally, and uh, and I think that's a big part of what that sort of process or conversation that's been inside me for so long was like I had to do it myself before I could allow other people to effectively do it with me. Is like. You got to watch somebody know that they're willing to suffer. They're willing to pay the price. They're willing to make mistakes in the open and do all that stuff before you can be like, all right, I get it. Like, I want you to win now, you know, yeah, yeah, instead yeah. of the dudes like that's what I meant about the Lance comment, right? He was when they're isolated that way, when they put themselves on a pedestal and there's no there's no human uh, element to it. And they, mm-hmm. it's so hard to connect with. And then it's almost even when you're watching them do amazing things, there's an element of like, you know, I don't know you're definitely not as empathetic or there's not as much connectivity there. And that, you know, that was something that I was really proud of through my career was that, um, you know, I was really open to that and I shared it all on the stage, you know, on the world stage and people were able to, to watch me make, you know, horrible mistakes and, and look terrible, but then at the same time, enjoy the process of what that was for me. And, um, you know, that, and that enhanced the experience for me, you know, because I was able to sort of share that with everybody. It's kind of, you know, imagine if you're totally by yourself winning a world cup, there's no, there is nothing there, you know. It's all about what it is to other people and how you share it together, and that experience of of doing something that you've worked your whole life to, you know, to earn the right to be able to do. So, um, you know, and sharing it with the people who you really connect with is is awesome. You know, getting yeah. to finish there and being like, being like, yes, dude, and you yeah, were like, 
that was legit. Um, <laughs> was, totally, yeah. totally uh, exclusive the night before, you know. But yeah, those are those are rare and and amazing experiences. All right, I want you guys to think about your favorite cartoon experience. Think about like the cartoons that you used to love watching when you were a kid. Now, I want you to think about what you were eating when you were watching those cartoons. And if we're talking about me, I was watching Thundercats and I was eating Fruit Loops. And that was an awesome experience. However, it was horrible for me. I mean, cereal is like the worst thing that you can give a kid. It's just packed full of sugar. It has hardly any nutritional value at all. And of course, back then, we're having like non-fat and low-fat milk because that's what we thought was good for us when that's not what's good for us. So what do we do if we want to duplicate that experience either for ourselves or for our kids? Well, fortunately, Magic Spoon came up with a solution. They have four different flavors that are absolutely phenomenal that'll remind you of all of the different cereals that you used to have when you were a kid. So you can try the variety pack. And if you want to go back down memory lane and have something with incredible macros, zero grams of sugar, 11 grams of protein, only three grams of net carbs, and actually have something that's both delicious and crunchy, and you can mix it with whatever healthy milk that you want, whether that's whole milk or heavy cream, or whether that's one of the alternative milks. I kind of like banana milk right now. That's kind of my jam. So like banana milk with the fruity magic spoon cereal, it's pretty fucking good. I'm just saying. Um, so anyways, head to magicspoon.com slash Aubrey. That's just like it sounds, magicspoon.com slash Aubrey, or use the code word Aubrey, and you will get free shipping and get to try some amazing cereals. And please, 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 if you have kids, get them this cereal or some kind of more healthy option because the regular cereals on the shelf are just not good for the human metabolic system, whether you're a kid or whether you're an adult. So once again, magicspoon.com slash Aubrey. And the and one of the things that, you know, so many things that you taught me through that, but you're you had an unbelievable ability to control your mind. And I've told this story like a billion times, but I remember one time, one time I was like, I came up to you and, and you were talking about this, about like how you could mentally prepare yourself in a way. And you had such a, like a such like a tight discipline to how you would prepare your mind that it didn't matter because most people would be up there they'd be thinking about what they did the night before they'd be dieting, doubting themselves because of that they'd have all of these extraneous thoughts that would be these self-limiting beliefs mm -hmm. and these like presupposed excuses as to why they couldn't go out there and do that but you just wouldn't allow that shit to happen like you would you had the ability to control your thoughts and your emotions to a degree that i actually i don't think i've ever seen replicated i think in, in you another know athlete or anybody it's you know and it's weird i don't really I, I i mean i agree that that was a huge focus for me for a long time and but i think it's a lot of that is some raw material too but then it's pattern and practice practice just like most things i mean i i had such an obscene i mean unfortunately now you know losing my daughter and and losing my mm -hmm. brother before that and um you know so i've had a lot of loss in my life like you know everybody's gonna i mean if we think we're gonna not lose the people we love um you know we're, we're fooling ourselves but but disproportionately kind of large for someone my age at, at certain times and, and certain raw elements to it. And I look back now and I'm like, God, I feel very well prepared as much as you could theoretically be prepared for something like that, which is kind of a, you know, uh, idiom, I guess that you can't really ever be prepared for it. But the fact that I'd put myself through these self in, in um, self-induced super traumatic experiences, hundreds and hundreds of times, 
because I believed that was the best way for me to compete in the way that I wanted to understand my mindset and my body and actually have sort of the optimal opportunity each day. And I wasn't willing to sacrifice the night before or the weeks before to get that. So I had to create these scenarios where I could overcome whatever obstacles were there, whether it was, you know, self-imposed drinking hangover times <laughs> or, or, you know, lack of training or just lack of ability in some cases. But um, to build those scenarios, I wish I could, I, I think I, I lost the notebook, but I had a notebook that had all these different scenarios, more or less. They were like little mini, mini scripts, you know, that I would write down and some of them were somewhat based in reality. Some were completely fabricated. Some were movie plots that I'd modify and put myself in the role of the hero or, or the villain or whatever. And um, it's essentially like method acting in a mm -hmm. way where you're fully immersing yourself in that role and position and you can completely dictate what you're doing. And if it wasn't real, it didn't work. So you had, you had a really clean motivation. If it wasn't real, you were just faking it. The second the, you know, all the noise stopped and the beeps started before you kicked out of the star gate, reality came slamming home and you, <laughs> you know, you knew, I mean, that's the problem. I guys are always listening to music before the start. And when you turn off your headphones, all of a sudden reality comes slamming. right before that you're listening to Metallica. You're just this badass ass kicker. <laughs> you're Rocky and Rocky four. And then the music stops and you have 10 seconds before you go. And you know, you just, everything crashes home and reality slams right in the face. And that's, that can be debilitating. I've seen guys walk away from the start of world cups because that, that kind of happens to them. So you had to make it real. And when you're making it real, it is exactly that it's real. So I experienced, you know, an ungodly number of super traumatic, both good and bad in some cases, um, you know, times in my life over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I could modify them as necessary. And that, you know, you do develop a, an extreme, degree of discipline and focus and also detail you realize the details are what matter there without details it doesn't it's not real because in real life life's full of details so um yeah crazy crazy side benefit now is is the fact that i can tolerate crazy amounts of stress and and adversity and challenges in a way that most people just can't really even grasp i mean I, i'm more and it allows me to be open and support other people the people around me sure. which is which is huge i mean because normally and when the shit hits the fan and everyone's connected everyone's in the same boat as it's sinking. So to have one person who's kind of buoyant uh, against the, the sinking factor is, is massively beneficial to everybody. Yeah, and I want to talk about some of your early practices that led up to that because I think that's a cool story too. But I remember you would also talk about sometimes you would listen to some music that would get you too fired up. Yeah. And you'd be like... Arousal control was a big <laughs> factor for you me. Would get, and you'd be like, I, I fucking... I was listening. I was getting so fired up that you would go... And you were always aggressive. I mean, you always skied aggressive. You wanted to ski the best line that you could. You wanted to ski. But there was some times where you get yourself fucking so fired up. Yeah, it became obvious that I was <laughs> mentally, I was way above where I was physically. And I was running into that ceiling pretty regularly. I went through a phase where I, I have the longest streak of consecutive DNFs in World Cup. And that was right during that phase where I was just like, in the start gate, just like feeling like I could crush my poles with my hands. And I was just like, you know, like steaming. And here I am starting like 58 in the race. And I'm like convinced that I'm going to win. And like the dudes at the finish are already in the hotel spinning between like runs and stuff. And I'm and like, for people who don't know, if you have a 58 start position, like the snow is thrashed. Oh, you're done. You have no chance have, really. I mean, no chance of it. No. even if you can crush. Nobody who's in the lead <laughs> is worried in the slightest bit that somebody's going to come down and do anything. They're, they're like, oh, those poor guys. They're up there just like jerking off in the start still. <laughs> And I would be like 100% convinced, like in my mind, just like, oh, this is on. Everyone's going to be shocked. I mean, they're going to be like, oh, my God. And then I'd make it like six gates and just go flipping into the woods and be like, oh, what happened? Be like, all right, note to self, 
less fired up <laughs> until I get better. I need to seriously improve my abilities right now or, or yeah. dial back the intensity. Cause yeah, those two have to, at some point they have to match up to some degree. Uh, so, all right. So going back to the early days, cause one of the things you would talk about is you would put yourself, well, first of all, like even how you started skiing, you know, like you were, you didn't have chairlifts and shit. You would just like hike your fucking skis up like early i mean this yeah. is like this was like real early you're like a mm -hmm. kid in new hampshire just fucking i'm gonna hike up i'm gonna ski down and that's gonna take only a couple minutes down and like a couple hours yeah, up. a long time up and and short down and that's you know i think honestly that's one of those things that there's there's comparisons to all sorts of things throughout our lives but in the east coast at that time even when i did start skiing at cannon you know at, at our local mountain the chairlifts are super slow double chairlifts or whatever you know single chairlifts in some cases and they take 15 minutes to get to the top and you can ski down in 45 seconds so you know there's this crazy juxtaposition between super quiet calm solitary on the chairlift in nature looking around thinking internalizing and like peace, like a meditation in a sense, because a lot of times it's minus 20 degrees, you know, super cold. And I went through whole days where I didn't say a word to anybody, you know, because I, I was the only person skiing and I was six, seven years old, eight years old. Um, I was not in school, you know, I was homeschooled at that time. So I'd have these like crazy times where I could just, you know, more or less meditate without thinking I was doing it because you're just sitting there, you know, on in the cold, just like thinking and, and breathing. And then you get to the top and it's just like, crazy no rules like you know no ski patrol up there at the time you just go as fast as you wanted do whatever you wanted go bonkers crazy risk and learn about risk management all your own stuff but then get right back on the lift again and it's quiet and this repetition i think is, is you know unfortunately now with you know high speed eight person chairlifts it's like social four minutes as you get to the top at 25 miles an hour you know and right. then and then you're going again i think it it does it takes something away from what the sport has to offer from a growth standpoint and like especially as a little kid um yeah it was it was crazy and and definitely allowed me to develop a lot of that introspection and like you know self-analysis because there's nothing else to do on a chairlift by yourself you know mm. for you know i think about it like i mean obviously you spend a huge amount more time on the chairlift than you do actually skiing so we're talking about you know thousands and thousands of hours when i was a young person where i was just by myself quiet with nothing else to do in nature which i think in mountains they just have a you know unique way to stimulate the mind and make you think and make you feel humble and you know and uh really valuable stuff that i think is unfortunately why 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 how how did you like what was the reason that drew you up there because even before that at like five you were hiking the mountain and yep. skiing down like, yeah always i mean I, there wasn't a i mean i'd love to think it was some higher calling but i think it was <laughs> new hampshire in the winter's freezing fucking cold and there's just not that much to do but i think <laughs> um, and I wasn't in school and I'd go sledding and stuff, but something about skiing to me always was more like an art than it was a sport. You know, mm -hmm. I played lots of sports and I, and I enjoyed them, but there, there was always a defined goal. There was always a winning and losing. <clears throat> and when I was skiing until you started racing, there was no winning or losing. You know, you could race somebody if you wanted to, but in general, it was just, it was about expression and it was about having fun and enjoying nature and being outside and, and learning about yourself. And, you just, I mean, it's a humbling sport because you do stupid shit or even sometimes not doing anything wrong and you just hook an edge and you just face plant and like yeah. you're there by yourself on the side of a trail with a wind knocked out of you and your fucking goggle lens sticking out sideways <laughs> and it's, you know, minus 20 and you just fucking, you know, you have a little tantrum like fucking fuck this, this is bullshit. <laughs> and then you realize nobody's around and you're like, okay, that wasn't for anybody. That was fucking pointless. And then you 
gather your <laughs> shit up and you're like, all right, I'm going to, you know, you either get ego and you're like, fuck that. I'm going to nail that next time. And then you yeah. get your ass kicked again and again and again and again. And eventually you're like, all right, I get it. Like not winning this one. Yeah. You know, this is just about going out and enjoying it and being present and, and hanging out in the mountains. And and that's, I think, you know, was, was, as I said, it had a draw way beyond racing. Cause in the beginning I wasn't racing. I had no real, um, intense to race. I didn't, I didn't really care. I just like being out there and that, you know, that honestly stayed till now. I still do the same thing. I happened to race because I was, you know, needed to make money. I hated working. So I had to figure out some way that, <laughs> had to figure out some way that, that shit was for the birds. I had to figure out. It was almost like the mountain was your guru. Yeah. To a certain yeah. degree. Like yeah. that was your guru. Like that was where you learned stillness. It's where you learned meditation. It's where you learned about your ego. That's where you learned about how hard you could push. It's where you learned yeah. about risk. Yeah. Everything, risk management, everything else. And it, you definitely, like I said, mountains, I think there's, you know, obviously mountains have their own gravity as well, you know, and you, mm -hmm. you definitely sense that when you're, when you're small, you just like, they kind of pull you towards them and that's factual. I mean, they have their own gravitational force, big mountain ranges, but um, also from a spiritual standpoint, I think there's something about it. You know, you just, they, they are a natural teacher. Nature is in general, but mountains in particular, um, you know, they definitely have a lot to, to show you. And when you're there and when you're in the, when you're in those kind of modes where you're just enjoying it and doing that that's when your you know your brain sort of gets out of the way and you can start to experience the first at least for me it was those were the first like spiritual moments where i realized i was getting information from sources not people talking to me and i was yeah. i was connected to lots of other stuff and the information flow was was definitely a huge draw of that kept me in, interested in staying with it as long as i did because when i was there it was such a natural state for me to be in yeah it's like wim hof says that the the cold is merciless, but it's righteous. And he calls the cold his guru, you know, and obviously he's got all his world records and all those mm -hmm. things. But in a way, the, the mountain was the same thing. I mean, it was cold, yes, but that wasn't the factor. The factor was like all the other things. But it just shows how if you dedicate yourself to any one particular path, like there's so many lessons with the depth. Mm -hmm. You know, because you can like catch, I went casually skiing. I hardly learned a fucking thing, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> like every once in a while I'd learn a thing or two, but I didn't go deep enough to yeah. really like really learn from skiing and learn from the mountain you know and i think that's a lesson in like yeah if you fucking keep going like badminton can be your guru yeah, like there's whatever. absolutely depth in everything i mean that you know because in the end you yeah you you learn you learn all the important stuff from whatever it is it can be anything yeah and then the other thing that you know another thing that we talked about too is you would have this kind of affinity for these long sauna sits too which mm. is like a way for you to test this kind of sense of resilience and test like what was possible. Yeah. And it was, I think it was the same, you know, on the other end of the spectrum from sitting on a chairlift in minus 25 or minus 30 is like going internally, you know, going inside your body and saying, I need more blood in my feet, you know, they're going to freeze. So, and actually being truly motivated to do that and then breathing through it and trying to, you know, figure out how to control your body and without anybody telling you you couldn't do it and no reason to even have the conversation to justify how you were doing it and i figured out lots of stuff um more or less by necessity but by practice as well and in that free environment where there was no nobody to you know play up to or no no posturing of any sort it was just you know me in, in the woods and like you kind of know that you're just a kid you know you're just playing playing at big games but reality is you're just as equipped more equipped to do it than than any other time probably in your life and the the saunas were just the other end of that you know 
being in there in the in the super intense heat and figuring out your breathing patterns and how to move blood around in your body um, manually in different ways and relax your mind and disconnect from things like discomfort or panic or anxiety and uh -huh. um, you know same thing it's they're they're really uh, those are hugely um, important tools for me and then plus I just I like it I enjoy it yeah and that's such a you know all of these elements that we can find that are uncomfortable you know like they're teachers in a certain ways and like the heat and the cold and all and like athletics and all of these things like you fucking learn shit mm -hmm. you learn like important shit that applies to everything like every conflict that you have now you know you're no longer a professional athlete you're no longer doing this but every one of those lessons i'm sure has applied in in every aspect of your life and it will continue to apply which is why it's so fucking important yeah to like find all of these different all of these different ways to to test yourself so you know yourself yeah yeah that's ultimately the the most i think probably universal truth of the whole thing is the pursuit of something to the highest level that you're capable of is is more beneficial for everything else than the actual act itself um whether you're successful or not is not really the point or what you get out of it financially or in any other areas it's more you know internally what you discover and how you how you're able to function at that point because the commitment all those things they're all real regardless of what the activity is you know yeah. they're all those things are more or less um exactly the same yeah and one thing i, I recognize too is is we went through the years of our friendship is you you had probably the the worst off season of any professional racer, you know, pretty consistently, you know, as far as like, as far as like the being the least prepared in the off season, but your ramp up yeah, my ramp was up undeniably was... the most intense thing I've ever seen from, from anybody. I remember like going through some workouts for you when you were in ramp up mode yeah. and it was fucking bonkers. Yeah they were horrible it was, it was it was bonkers you yeah. were willing to do both you were willing to like make let up it go for, intentionally <laughs> and be like okay this is gonna really suck like every day that i'm not doing stuff now is gonna make it that much worse later and i would do it every time and be like but um again for me it was the balance you know i had to had to strike that i wouldn't have been able to do it as long as i did without that um you know i certainly would have won more races probably preparing differently maybe um well, yeah, exactly. You don't, you don't know. I also could have, you know, taken just the wrong fall. I think the balance is, or just are, been frustrated and been like, "Fuck right, it, I don't, burn, even, I don't even like yeah, this." Yeah, yeah, burned out. Um, although in in my case, I don't think that would have been the case. But it was always, it was always about like an intentional act of trying to trying to react to my my sort of internal compass of like where the balance was. And unfortunately, it's not as easy as a compass. It doesn't just always point you the right way. It's kind of a a wobbly <laughs> wobbly <laughs> compass. So you have to like, you know. But yeah, those the ramp up periods, as as you experienced a few times, were and those are cool though too in a sense because you do have that extra chip on your shoulder and you know your your back's against the wall because there was no more time to delay and it allows you to be hyper committed and and um, you know the intensity I think has incredible value as well. You know, being able to and willing to exert that type of intensity on any activity is similar to the patience or the you know stuff of trying to evolve into the best version at whatever activity you do that intensity is like the other side of that, right? You have, you have duration, you have time and you have mm -hmm. intensity or pressure and being able to experience both of those normally you can't do, you know, super duper intense pressure and time at the same time because it just explode. And I tested that as well, you know, <laughs> fairly often, but you know, that those two, I think were really important lessons, just being able to bring, bring the noise at a hundred percent, figure out what a hundred percent really is. Cause most people have, have very little knowledge of where their true limits are. And, you know, I can say I found a few of them myself. Yeah.
If you're listening to this in the month of May, you're going to find yourself at some point in our rolling semi-annual sale. So for those of you who know our semi-annual sale, it's our second biggest sale of the year. But because of different supply issues and because of the situation we're in right now, we're actually extending this and rolling this out with different categories all throughout the month. So up until May 10th, we have 25% off all of our supplements, Alpha Brain, Total Human, Total Gut Health, Shroom Tech Sport, Creel Oil, Creatine, Total Hemp, New Mood, everything 25% off up till May 10th. And then nutrition, which I'm extremely excited about, starts on 5.11 to 5.17, and that's going to be 20% off. And of course, Rogan's favorite fat butter, the whey protein, the plant-based protein on an MCT oil, all of that is going to be 20% off from 5.11 to 5.17. We have all our apparel, accessories, and gear from 518 to 524, up to 50% off. So you can really stock up on all the best on it gear. And then finally, at the end of the month, we're going to get a resupply shipment if everything goes well of all of our fitness products. It's been like a global kettlebell shortage, and we're going to say it stops here. It stops here, everyone. You can get your fucking kettlebells and all of the Onnit Fitness equipment staring 525 to 531 at 18% off so you can stock up for your home gym. And I know a lot of us have been really working out a lot at home, and this is just going to give you a great opportunity to make sure that you are ready anytime that you want to work out at home. And really, look, if you don't have a kettlebell, all you need is one kettlebell and follow Primal Swolger or get the Onnit 6 kettlebell program and you're good. Like your fitness is covered. Kettlebell is like a gym in a single unit. And of course, the mace and the clubs and the ropes and the hydrocore bags and everything else that we have is also phenomenal. So check that out if it's 525 to 531 and get your 18% off. And please navigate through slash Aubrey to make sure people know that you're supporting the podcast. Thank you guys so much. I hope you guys enjoy all of these Onnit products. And thank you so much for all of your support during these times. It means a lot, not only to myself, but also to all the employees and everybody working hard here at Onnit. I remember one, we were doing one run together and you had a, an obscenely heavy weight vest mm. and you put the slightly less obscenely heavy weight vest. And there was this particular hill that you like yeah. to like, that you like to run, but and it was grueling for me, but I didn't have any particular reason to push myself to the, to the thousand percentile, <laughs> yeah. but I would watch you run it and you would finish and you would be somewhere between gasping, vomiting, crying, raging. Like it was like the, but, but smiling yeah. through the whole yeah, process, right like, the very end. Yeah. like right to the, like the bitter end of clawing for your life at that run. And it was, you had a knowledge that that was one of the things that you were doing that other people weren't doing. People yeah. were training hard, but they were probably not going that fucking no, hard. No, not that hard. They were they were doing what you'd call training smarter, you know, <laughs> versus training harder. And like that was this big evolution of sports science in my time. And um, I was like, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But fuck that shit. I'm a, that's not my that's not my jam. I'm gonna train. I'm gonna train Rocky style, and I'm gonna do it fucking way harder than is recommended. They're like, you need days off. I was like, fuck days off you need days off um so but it definitely you know and i like i said i think those you know i couldn't always justify it articulately at those moments but there was there was a mad a method to the madness in there and i think the the value of that is is certainly showing itself now for me you know and just my understanding of things and the way that i look at um challenges and, and everything else and i definitely know that i have the capacity to, to push if i need to I was, uh, you know, one of the, one of the regrets was that I didn't go to Vancouver. I wasn't able to make it out there mm -hmm. on that trip and watch you win, watch you win the gold that day. I watched it on TV, but I remember you finished in that and you won the gold in the combined. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
I think so. It was slalom was the last one, or what was the, yeah, was the, was slalom, the slalom? Was and one, that's yeah. like the most exhausting, right? Yeah, it's so brutal. So, and but I watched you finish, and the way that you finished that race, because for that that race, you didn't get to put in your full for whatever reason, like you didn't get to put in the full thing where you're mm. totally prepared, yeah, and like totally had the endurance. But it was the same way that you ran that same hill with that 150 pound fucking pack on your back. Like when you finished that, you had that same kind of exhaustion of like, this is the bitter fucking bleakest end yeah, of yeah, what yeah. my fucking When body everything can do. in your body's re- rebelling against you and telling you to stop and that you don't have any more, you have to be able to, you know, convince it it's not just not the case, <laughs> yeah. not till you get to the finish line. So, yeah, there's, I mean, I can count, I mean, the number of times where that's happened is insane, you know, and, and a lot of sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but you have to always be willing to ask that question. And I think that's a, it's a unique thing that that I was, you know, able to develop that that I, I knew what that felt like to be right at the end where everything's being like, no, 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 this is not going to work. Like we got <laughs> nothing left. And you're like, oh yeah, there's a little more in there. Keep looking. <laughs> Get back well, to me another 10, 10 seconds. Um, and that, yeah, it's, it's, uh. I'm I'm glad that it's in the rearview mirror, but it was uh you know it was pretty fun at the time. Yeah, what is it? How did you how did you get to the place where it became such a spiritual practice for you that because we would always talk about it like you didn't care so much about whether you won or not. You cared so much about whether you just fucking sent it, mm-hmm. which was like a spiritual commitment to skiing the mountain, like in the best way that you possibly could, rather than whether you finished it you know in this this time that gave you this accolade or whatever but people's egos are so wrapped up in winning mm-hmm. like, what do you think what what do you think it was about yourself or how did you is that something that was innate or is that something that you yeah, just developed I, mean, I think it was a combination of a couple things that led me there and then my understanding of it developed as a, as i did it more um in the beginning you know, it's the way i started i started off without really a, a defined competitive structure it was just skiing you know i just did it and i tried to keep up with other guys who you know were skiing faster than me and and there, there's no real competitive element there. I just wanted to keep up because it was fun to ski with them instead of being by myself. So, and then as I as I evolved through, and you know, in that 03 World Championships, um, which I spoke about on a TEDx talk, was um, where I sort of first really truly connected with this collective emotional commitment to sports, and you know, where I felt like I surrendered more or less the the, the control, the joystick that was controlling me in my actions, and more or less just said, "All right, let's." let's go. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm going to do the activity, but I'm going to just open myself up to what everyone else's desires, their ambitions really were. And, um, and that was a huge breakthrough for me because that, that definitely allowed me to understand that like, it was more about what I was, it was, it was the experience. It was what I was sharing and, and what I was giving to the fans and the people who watched or the people who, and in some cases, not even in such a tangible way, but what I was more or less projecting out into the universe was this raw enthusiasm without pretense or or posturing of any sort just like not caring what i looked like not caring if people thought i was you know sucking or great or whatever just like straight up going and doing what i felt like you know what was was my sort of calling at that moment that was those were huge breakthroughs and then as i as i evolved beyond there um you know i i recognized there was a it was a really valuable and powerful practice to surrender your own sort of agenda for for uh, the others for for the collective or whatever and um that's 100 percent what happened in vancouver i mean I, I was in this crazy trance before that slalom um because i was in i was in terrible shape still at that time and 
my skis were horrible. I hadn't won a slalom race in, you know, I don't know, four <laughs> years. And and I'd skied crappy in the you downhill. finished third in Moscow. That yeah, was, that's true. Which was also impressive. Which was which was full just mental commitment there. That was just <laughs> a much different story. Jesus, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but yeah, it was and and there I just fully super intentionally and very deliberately removed myself from the equation more or less and just was like an automaton, you know, from the start. And I was in this crazy trance before that because I started to really feel it. And it was the first time, 06, I was too blocked up in the Olympics. I was just so in now, a dark. Those were the Trino games, yeah, right? Yeah, in, in just a dark, I was really kind of, I, was, I had a shell. You know, I was really protecting myself from from the outside at that point. Because the outside was coming at you yeah, hard, hard at that point. Yeah, and like, it, it should have, like it, it, was, it was the opposite like, of what I should have done because obviously yeah. in hindsight, I should have just relaxed my own barriers and just let it go because it would have been, obviously way way easier and, and better overall but um at the time that that push was causing me to you know have an instinct to push back and i just kept pushing back and well it was um, almost like the same story about me not wanting you to have those shots like the world put so many expectations and so much on you that had nothing to do with you and had nothing to do with your well-being and had nothing to do with like what you were doing this for it was all about results and yeah. it was all about this thing and it was so discordant with you as yeah, a human what being i wanted yeah and what and what i'd shown all the way up to that point too so yeah. it was it was discordant with everything there was no it made no sense and that's you know but it's still no excuse it was still a bad decision and, and poor sure but but then when in vancouver when i did it it was like so deliberate and i'd talked about it and planned for it and was really ready and and it was it was remarkable and it could have gone either way i mean i could have just easily hooked a tip like i did in, in torino and crashed and it it wouldn't have even lessened it for me i mean it was it was ironic that at, at that time, the one thing I hadn't done was won an Olympic gold and I'd won everything else. And and that time with really personally no real skin in the game, but for other people, it was so important that I win that gold, you know, for my family, for coaches, for lots of people who are in my corner, just for the inspirational elements, for legacy, for all these other things that were not, not as personal, but that I'd over the course of from our conversation till that point had really kind of taken a new perspective on him and like look as a mature person a part of this planet and you know for the next generation of kids like of course that's something i want to leave behind i would love to have a you know positive contribution to the inspiration for people in sports and and the way they behave and all that stuff and i recognize certainly that i hadn't left that positive um legacy behind after 06 and even though i'd won the overall again and had a great run in between there um this was a a platform where that made sense and it was kind of like a really funny thing cuz you you have this internal battle of like, well, I should be running the show because obviously I know what I'm doing. And in hindsight, you realize like I would have definitely not won if I'd done that, you know, and just mm -hmm. I just kind of feel it like I, I had to like let it go and just be like, all right, this is it. I'm going to let my body do what it can do and let the energy of, of everybody watching and the whole universe and the earth pull me down and whatever more or less the collective decision is, I'll, I'll live with it, you know? Mm. And I think that's something that people love to watch. They love to be involved, you know? It's like being the home crowd, you know? It's like in a football stadium when you're the home team or a basketball, like it's that connectivity that people lack all the other times, but somehow when they're wearing the right color jersey or they're rooting for the right color team, they they all feel like they're part of one unit and their their emotions are contributing to this greater emotional volume that's dictating in real life i mean it, it's it's not a it's not a fluke that you know that makes a difference it's not just the noise it's the it's the actual energetic impact that's happening um so to be on the other side of that was was super cool to be able to be like all right let's see hopefully my body can hold up to what you guys are going to ask it to do because i know it hasn't held up to what i've asked it to do a bunch of times but and and it's it's crazy that it works it works incredibly well that was, you know, that was the crux of that. If people are wondering what was that 
conversation that I had that made that impact, you know, in, in 09, I guess was what you're talking about. That conversation where I was like, no, nah, man, like you gotta like go yeah. give it one more go. Yeah. And really what it was, was I'd, I'd spent so much time with you and I know how much wisdom and how much you had to offer the world. And, and if I can recall that conversation from my perspective, I mean, we were a few beers deep, but mm-hmm. I had, I just looked at you with, and I knew with everything, I was like, look, man, like you have so much, you have yeah. like so much to give, and this will give you the opportunity to reach so many more people in like, in a way, yeah. even though it doesn't matter, like truthfully, it doesn't matter, but it will matter to some, yeah. which will open this door and it'll like pry it open yeah. and you'll be able to deliver your medicine yeah. to that many more people and you're like oh. yeah no I, and it's true and i and i resisted it <laughs> as hard as i could but but there was there's there was so much wisdom and logic in that conversation and and as oh, i said in, in here in hearing it in the in the unique way that it was delivered too without any pretense and without any you know there was no accusation like you got to do this for some reason it was just because this is it was like it was like you'd watch the movie already and you knew the next step, even though it was like kind of against the grain, a little bit against the current. And, and, um, and that was definitely received, <clears throat> you know, from me. And I, I, you know, I resisted it, as I said, but then immediately afterwards had had several little other instances where it, because of the conversation, it triggered different things in my experiences in life, watching a movie or having <laughs> other conversations that made me recognize the the truth of it. And then, yeah, it became, became really obvious. And then, um, you know, obviously I, I unretired and had to go through the shit storm of trying to get fit for an Olympics starting in September. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess too, though, you know, like part of probably why the reason that landed is, and I've learned this, this is a lesson that I've just really started to learn is when you have like a selfish motivation, that's somewhere wrapped in there. Like if I was identified with the fact that you were my friend yeah. and I wanted you to be a gold medalist because that made me mm-hmm. like, there was none, there was none of that. I no. love, I just, I loved you, man. And I, I love you now and like there was no part of me that was going to love you more or love you less right. which, whichever decision you made but it was just like okay like that's a fucking given you know like that that's never going to change it doesn't fucking matter to me mm. you know but it could matter to these people and I think that's the that's the place I think parents oftentimes get it wrong because mm. they're so invested in their own ego yeah oh my boy does this good well that makes me look good and then I get to talk to my friends and when when that's coming from that place it's gonna be like Ew. yeah the advice is repellent it really Ew. is it's it's the opposite of what it should be which is like it should be delivered the way any good addiction delivers which is in your head telling you you actually want to do this you actually this is good advice you should be doing this you know and any good addiction that's you you believe you want to have another drink or you want to uh-huh. you know go get laid again you know it's like it's coming from inside and any any person who's really you know connected to you obviously that's it's both a gift and it's a responsibility you know you, you have to you have to take that seriously and you know that at that time like i said it was you know super super impactful and and not just the advice but also the the mechanism and the understanding and the the trust between us is all yeah. you know all that's enhanced by the risk or the the effort that you took to do that and then you know regardless of the outcome in this case the outcome was was a, a game changer in a lot of different ways and and did all the things that we'd sort of designed it to do and, and accomplished yeah. a lot more than than would have been otherwise but but also without that the the result is the same you know the the dynamic of it and the 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 mechanism there is is what's really important and you know 
I mean, I, we had that same conversation in the, when like the first trip we met in Vegas about your, your UFC fighting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, I get it. Like you're a fucking baller and you'd be a great UFC fighter. Don't fucking do it. There's, <laughs> it is, you're going down the wrong road, right? I mean, yeah. there's a million ways yeah. to accomplish exactly what you're trying to do that aren't fucked up. And that one's <laughs> fucked up. Like yeah. do this, you know, and, and, and no again, doubt. it was no even doubt. without having any context, there was no, there was no real inherent trust before that. But because the resonance was just right and because it came from a place of like, look, dude, it's not coming from me. I don't want to fight you now or ever. Like, regardless of how nasty you're going to get with your training, there's no other motivation. I had nothing, you know, yeah, I had truth. nothing, you know, it was just simply my advice and and came from a really honest perspective that I honestly hadn't even thought of before. You know, I, it was just, and that's what I think built that, that unique relationship that we developed from there was that type of communication that's happened, obviously, thousands of times, both directions. And, you know, that's, that's incredible value. And another aspect too is, you know, as much as I celebrated, you know, all the, all the things that you accomplished, you were no less enthusiastic about celebrating. And at that point there was not that many like outwardly worldly impressive things that I was accomplishing. But I remember one day after just hitting, like I was just dancing with this girl Yeah, and I was just, oh, I was, sending it, I was just fucking sending it. I was locked 100% in, in the I was zone. locked in and you were so happy and excited for me. And like, so gave me so much acknowledgement for that for that moment which was actually me at my very Mm -hmm. bleeding edge best of just surrendering completely to the moment and yeah i was dancing and drinking but nonetheless like you were able to acknowledge that and i think you had that gift for so many people where you could watch anybody and if anybody was just giving it everything you would be so fucking pumped i love it it's like it's my favorite thing on the planet is watching people with all their shit stripped away just like being being who they were meant to be or who they've worked hard to become or whatever it is but in their in their purest form it's when i knew morgan was going to be my wife was watching her and it only happened for five seconds i wish it happened for more Mm -hmm. but in that five seconds it was like that clear window right to the to the root of things and and it's such a defining um element of humanity that you just uh you know it's overlooked a lot of times because you have to be sort of in that place yourself to see it you know where where i was more or less operating that way i had no i had no concerns no pretense i was just rolling around doing my yeah, thing and, and also like you have to accept like people judge things comparatively mm-hmm. right like if you're gonna it's not about people don't look at what someone's individual potential is in that moment they right. look at like it's all well, contextual it's all con- yeah contextual to like what the best mm-hmm. in the world would do so yeah. if i was like hooping like I'm not going to be fucking Michael Jordan, LeBron James, any of these people, but if I was sending it to the best, like you would celebrate that as if just the same as if I was them. They just have a different it's all the same. They mm-hmm. their their bleeding edge potential can be incredibly inspiring right. too. It's just yeah. a, it's just but it's the same thing ultimately. It's like reaching for that the best of what is possible in and it's that one of the things moment. that i i've reflected on it a bunch and i you know i have a friend who i started my foundation for who's in a wheelchair and most people wouldn't know um, that the Paralympics are right after the Olympics every year. And um, I stayed in Japan for the first two days of the Paralympics that mm-hmm. year in 98. So my first Olympics and uh, and watched a couple of those guys. And it just struck me as exactly that. Like I was, I mean, you would have thought I was competing in, in the Paralympics as well because I was so fired up for these dudes who I didn't know. But just watching these guys who had dealt with adversity in their lives, whether they lost limbs or were injured or were born that way or whatever, but they were in the Olympics, and for them, it was the biggest stage they'd ever been on. And it's it's a you know a microbe compared to the Olympics in terms of the coverage it gets. But the stories and the element, the connectivity is almost better because there's not all the egos of the real of the regular Olympics 
because all those people have learned to have this aura and this, you know, projection of like, I'm a super stud, I'm an Olympian. And these dudes are just like out there, you know, one leg and one arm or whatever, and just fucking giving it. And like watching these guys just ragdoll themselves, like, I mean, just pushing at maximum effort and their, their motivation was so much more pure. There's so much less like organizational bullshit around them that was pushing them to do one thing or another that they were just more in their element and it was fucking radical. It was a really cool experience for me at a young age because I was whatever, 20 you know, years old. And it was like, I realized like, holy shit, like, I mean, the fact that they're not going to compete against me in a downhill is irrelevant. They're, they're mm-hmm. against whatever category they're in. Each dude is doing their maximum. And that's just a factor of life. Like we all have different abilities and all sorts of different stuff. And it was a really clear example of like, exactly what you're saying like it does not matter how actually effective you are at what you're trying to do if you're at your maximum and you're sending it there's a certain emanation that comes off of that that's incredibly inspirational and powerful and emanation and, is yeah. exactly the right word and it's and it's it connects everybody it's it's impossible to deny no matter who you are you can't i mean we had that basketball game i think it was in russia or somewhere <laughs> it was where we were, we were we were maxing out and like you're obviously a, a better basketball player than i am and i have <laughs> more intensity in that sense than you do and and i outweighed you by about 25 pounds at that time and we just battled one-on-one i mean having a one-on-one basketball game with somebody else who's super competitive and like it is gnarly because you're just like pumping shots up and you realize the other guy's tired so you're taking shitty shots because you know this is your chance and he jacked me under the chin one time with his shoulder drove underneath got his shoulder underneath my chin and jumped as hard as he could and just snapped my head back and i came back too and i was like whoa i was like did it go in did it go fuck that where's the ball like and it was and it was one of those times where we were both like you know as as good of friends as we were we were also both not at all concerned about you know oh i better be gentle with Bodie because he's got a fucking race the next day or whatever or like his ego might be hurt and like we were just both just fucking giving it everything and it was fully 100 percent like respect both directions and it was like and those are, I mean, Forrest was there and those guys, and they were like, it was awesome to watch. They yeah. were like, they thought they were at like a NBA game with like, but yeah, more like a special Olympian NBA yeah. game where we were just, <laughs> just hacking each other. Every, every drive was like, but, but the motivation and the effort was like, you know, again, we, I hadn't worked my whole life to be a good basketball player, yeah. but I was absolutely at my maximum effort to, yeah. to make, you know, what I was trying to do the best I could do it. And you know, those are, especially when you do them together in a competitive state like that, it was, I mean, you know, you ended up winning and I was just as happy as if I ended up winning. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yes, that was an awesome game. <laughs> Great playing. My jaw really hurts and I'm not gonna be able to chew for two weeks, but it was worth it. That was, there's another thing that you taught me is because we came off, we came off that trip to Moscow was ridiculous. And I've talked about that trip because we had access because I think I think Putin was like yeah. he was super excited to have you. He was brown nosing us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was super we excited. We had chaperones, and <laughs> yeah, chaperones taking us to the best places, and so obviously we're going to do it. And you know, some part of me I think at that point was like, oh well, I only slept like a couple hours and I'm hungover. Like I'm not going to fucking go hard and play basketball. But with you, you were like, yeah, we are. Yeah, and I was like, get your ass up. We're okay, uh, okay, we're doing it. You know, and we they're sweating so- out Red Bull vodkas like <laughs> NGHB was coming out my fucking ears. There was so there were <laughs> so many cases of that, both athletically and in that in a kind of party setting, where I would I would look to you and be like, 
uh, hey man, can can I do this? And you would, you'd always this, be like, is this even legal? No, nothing we're doing is, is legal. Is this advisable? <laughs> it's legal not advisable either. I can assure you those two answers are no, but, but we're doing it anyway. And I learned that. And I learned like I was capable of, of a lot more because mm. I was always kind of a little protecting myself and kind of going by that conventional idea of like what was possible. And like I learned oh no, there's, there's more that's possible. Yeah. Like I can play that hard on this, on these limited conditions, mm-hmm. or I can be this exhausted and go out a second night, mm-hmm. you know, like one of those nights in Vegas. I remember, I think it was Halloween, you know, oh, yeah. Halloween in Vegas. We yeah. had a fucking huge night. We're all dressed up like characters from the little mermaid. And then there was, was a, a shark. <laughs> I was solid. Yeah. You're a shark. I was Triton and we fucking go out there and we go fucking hard. And then the next day, we had another another table at another place. And I think Cascade was playing, mm-hmm. and I was just we were about to go in, and that was at uh, I was at the fucking Cosmo, and when we were going in, was, we were about to go into Marquee when Marquee yeah. just opened up, and I remember looking at you like in the lobby, and I was like, I don't know if I can do this, man. <laughs> and you're like, and you yeah. just very calmly, and it was that trust we had between each other. We were like, yeah, maybe, or maybe you can. <laughs> yeah. You might be right. <laughs> we are right at the threshold where there's a chance that we both just keel over. And then somebody has to pick us up and carry us to the nearest, you know, urgent care or whatever. Uh-huh. But also we may rally. We, we may, may rally. We may tap the source and uh and we had a, another That know, was one of my that was one of my favorite nights of my life. Yeah. And like and that was that thing of just having somebody that we'd both developed that relationship where I could ask you and trust you and like trust like I'm going to ask this dude for advice and the advice is going to be real and it's going to be like, and I'm going to be, and I'm going to listen, you know, and that's, that was just a fucking cool, a cool part of like our journey in those, in those years. Yeah. Figuring that, figuring that shit out. And now, and now here we are. Here we are, man. Here we are. The other (laughs) thing too, another thread that bonded us was we would talk about our psychedelic journeys, right? Like, I mean, I did my mushroom journey when I was 18, had that first vision quest and all that. And you were telling me stories about just picking mushrooms out of cow patties in New Hampshire because that just they just grew out of cow patties and you just pick them up. Plus, I had hippie parents who had big ass bags of mushrooms just sitting in our <laughs> freezer too, which was easier than picking them out of cow shit. Tastes better, not much better, but a little <laughs> tiny bit better. And you would tell you told me stories about how you were with a buddy and you'd have a ball. And like, tell that story about how you do mushrooms. With yeah, your we homie. had one. We had one episode where my my best friend at the time was the guy who drove my bus and cooked for me for a long time on World Cup, and he he's a, a great dude. And we, I convinced him we were going to skip school. I had a little more than a uh, um, like a little more than a quarter of really really strong mushrooms. When we were little kids. We were in we were in uh, going into fifth grade, so mm-hmm. we we're we we're little little dudes. And uh, and we so he he rode over to my house in the morning was going to told his mom, he was going to ride the bus from my house and we just ditched and we were riding our bikes in, um, to town and we, we got it and we ate, uh, he was like, you know, he'd, he'd eaten a little bit of mushrooms before, but this was his first like major. We were going, the yeah, he- we, were go- grade. we were going the hero. We were going the hero. I'd influenced him probably, you know, a little, little more than I maybe should have, but, um, we were going the full hero journey. I was like, dude, we're going fucking heavy today. So we're skipping school. We got to figure some shit out. And like, and even then, honestly, I, I still approached it the same way. It wasn't like a recreational thing. It was like, I wanted to connect with him. I wanted to figure some stuff out. I had stuff that I needed to understand. And so I gave, I, we, I gave him about, you know, a little less than an eighth 
uh, of really strong mushrooms and we ate it and I ate the, the bigger batch and we rode this little tiny mountain bike trail over this little hill and down to the river and we're sitting there. Um, and, and I remember being like, okay, it's probably gonna, you know, start kicking in pretty soon. And I kind of looked down and my legs looked real, real long. Like I was sitting on the edge of this rock with my feet trying to get to the water. And I was like, whoa, they're getting longer as I'm looking here. Like I'm going to be able to reach the water pretty soon. Like I was on like a 15 foot high boulder. And I was like, no, that doesn't make any sense. I was like, oh, okay, here we go. I looked over and he, he had his face about a quarter inch away from the water on the river was just like one of those flowing, like yeah. and the sun was shining through the sort of trees and it makes those, all those ripples on the rocks mm -hmm. underneath. And he was just looking at the rocks and I was like, okay, we gotta, we gotta evacuate out to somewhere where we can be a little bit peaceful. Cause we were kind of in town and we, we rode out of town. And as we were riding, I was like, we we're, you know, on the road that leads to my house and also to his, his parents' house. And we're riding and I'm like, okay, we have to like, there's some logistical stuff here. Like we got to like avoid his mom, you know? And I was like, we're invisible. I was like, we are, no one can see us. Like we, let's put a little bubble around us. Like he was riding right in front of me and I'm like, no one can see us. Cause we got to get out of town, like enough to like have a peaceful place where we can zone yeah. out. And right then I look up and his mom's driving straight towards us on like a pretty open, empty area of road. And there's two dudes, like young kids, her son being the front one with a neon helmet that's hers and me behind him with no helmet on. Like, and I'm looking straight at her. And I remember she's like driving and she's in a, a Zuzu and it's like big old front window, just looking straight at her. And we're right there. And I was like, we're invisible. We're invisible. Like even with no panic, I sort of was like, we're invisible. We're invisible. And we drove straight by and he's looking straight at her like this as she drives by and goes off the edge of the road and like janking his bike. Was like, so as she's like right here, she's not only seeing two kids, one of them, her son, but one of them's crashing like right in front of her. And she just was like, didn't even glance over straight by. And I was like, he got himself gathered up. We ended up out in this field, like by this really cool river in my, in my town. And from that, really from the river, uh, the first river, we didn't speak. We didn't verbally talk at all. But I was, even after that, I was communicating with him as if my voice was in his head and he was understanding me the exact same way. And we went out to this big old field next to the river and we did all kinds of stuff. It was kind of cloudy and he, you know, I'd hear him be like, oh, you know, I hope it doesn't get cold. And like, it was just the whole conversation. Everything was just happening without verbal stuff. And we were throwing a hacky sack. Um, and again, I, I devised the game and I was like, I want to, I'm going to throw the hacky sack. You have to close your eyes and, you know, face down on the ground and listen and I'll throw the hacky sack and you'll feel the vibration when it hits the ground out in this field of grass, like, you know, knee high grass. And then you'll go out and find it and then you'll throw it and I'll go out and find it. And we could both throw far. And, uh, I just bomb it out there and he'd have his hand, his you know eyes closed ear to the ground and he would run straight to it wherever it was and bring it back. And I would do the same thing. We did that for, you know, probably 45 minutes, like a game of human fetch. And it was one of those things where afterwards he reflected back on it and he, he said the same thing as me. He was like, it was insane. Firstly, after about six hours that we, when we, he first talked, I was like, whoa, it was like shocking to hear like vibrations coming in my ear yeah. when I'd just been used to it, just being in there and communicating just as easily without talking. And we'd had whole conversations about the plans, what we're going to do and whether we want to go swimming or not and all this stuff. But the thing about the hacky sack was that it was so obvious that we had that ability anyway, without that, without being on mushrooms, but that we just, you, you build a barrier in your mind that that's just not how it works. You know, that mm -hmm. you can't just listen to the ground and, and feel the vibrations like a ripple. The way we were, he designed, he described it exactly the same way. He said, all I would do is I'd hear it and you could hear the thump, even though it was, you know, 50 yards away or even sometimes further in this long grass. But it was also like the ripples. Once you started to run, you could feel the direction the ripples were coming from 
on the earth, like dropping a pebble into a, into a super still pond, you can just follow where the ripples are and you know exactly where the, where the you know, pebble was because of the direction of the ripples. You could just exactly hone in on where it was. And we, th this was not even, I mean, it was not even the same week. I don't think that we talked about that for the first time of how we were finding it. It was like the next time we were telling the story and he was like, oh, it was, it was the craziest thing because I could tell exactly where it was as I was running just because of almost like seeing ripples in the earth. And that just like for both of us awakened our minds to the fact that we're stunting ourselves by our barriers or our perspectives we put on our things are like, this is possible. That's this is possible. And then some people have bigger ones and some people have smaller ones, but more or less everybody has them like this is how it works. Like you can't just move things with your mind. And you can't just like, you can't talk without using your words. You got to, you know, your yeah. parents are, use your words. Like you goddamn know what I'm trying to say as a baby. You're like, I can tell, you know what I'm saying. Don't tell me, don't make me say the word, you know? And we just uh -huh. get that in there. And, you know, that was one of those things where that dissolved away. And then obviously opens up your mind to a lot more stuff. And, you know, they always say like mind expanding and that's, that's a pretty literal version of it. It's like, it just literally expanded what you believed was, was possible and how, how the world operates, where our own perceptions are a limiting factor versus maybe external stuff that that may or may not be limiting factors. So that was the first idea that kind of shaped your metaphysical understanding of like the the actual nature of reality being different than the told and prescribed nature yeah. of reality. But and that was something that we would talk about all the time. Yeah. But like how did that how did that evolve for you? Like through the it's still evolving. Yeah. You know, and yeah, you're still it like is. And, and I had I had great people around me. I was, you know, surrounded by really um, open-minded and, and thoughtful people who, who weren't really a lot like how you and I speak. There was not a lot of like, oh, I better say this because this is the accepted notions on the topic or whatever. It was pretty open. And, and, um, you know, I think, I think throughout my, my experiences with psychedelics and stuff, I, I always kind of approached it more as like, this is how I want to be, or want to have these tools or, you know, expanding your, your toolbox. Um, I want to try to understand, why it is that I am not able to do this stuff regularly. Why is it eating some innocuous plant um, allowing me to have abilities that I just can't figure out on my own, a, a normal thing. And so mm -hmm. it was always this do something and then reflect back, try to gather. So it was an information gathering um, you know, process for me. And I, I started writing everything down and recording my voice and and um, you know, and there was there was all kinds of funny episodes in the midst of that because some stuff simply is just not there when you, when you thought it was. You know, I saw paintings underneath paint on the wall that I was sure were there, and ended up stripping the paint away. Discovered there was no painting there. <laughs> um, but but at the same time, the the skills and the knowledge was was you know had fundamental viability to me. Like I could discover, I I figured out all sorts of things that I really have applied and and have developed. You know, the the bummer is that. You know, we don't live that long. I feel like if I if I lived a thousand years, I could really dial it in. But in the short lifespan, you have all these other distractions and priorities and stuff, and and they end up, um, you know, taking up too much of that time. Whereas you know, you can see if you could if you could really commit to it and discover and really take it systematically and approach it, you know, by developing skills and trying to understand exactly what's happening and um, from an emotional or, or psychological standpoint you could probably get really, really effective at being more or less that way all the time. And, mm. and I mean, talk about a good, a good toolbox. You'd have one of the sure. craftsmen. Most of us carry around the little kids one that's like this big as plastic and has like <laughs> a screwdriver and a plastic set of wrenches in there. You know, it's like, yeah. you need, you want the full craftsman if you're going to operate optimally. You made a, you made a really conscious choice for family, you know? And I remember we had this conversation down in San Diego and you're like, you know, you saw the virtue of that path for mm -hmm. you.
And I was like, ah, oh, man, like, I hear you. And I like support that. Mm-hmm. But it's just, I don't feel like that's my path at this point. And, you know, that family, that family decision brings a whole host of gifts that are indescribable in their value and challenges that are also indescribable. And, um, but also takes an immense amount of, an immense amount of effort. It's actually something that I still kind of wrestle with this idea of, do I want kids? Mm-hmm. You know, because that is a, that is an immense amount of effort putting towards the development of another conscious soul mm-hmm. that's coming through where you're, you know, you really have to devote yourself, you know, to that process. And yeah. you made that, you made that conscious choice and it was a clear, it was a clear choice for you. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that. I think the, probably the the least appreciated or, or most overlooked component of starting a family is the deliberate choice to do it and to commit to it because it's not one of those things you can dip your toe in and, and test around, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, and that I took that really seriously, and I didn't honestly think I would get married, uh, or I wasn't sure that I would, um, you know. And and I, I I loved kids always, but I, I felt like I could easily have been a, a camp counselor, a coach, and really had great impact on a huge number of kids without nearly the the burden or the obligation or all the other stuff that comes with being a parent. But um, but yeah, again, the same thing is deactivating my own ego or, or you know conscious thoughts or, or you know um tension or resistance and then just going down to the base level and then operating on what i knew was the right thing and a lot of times that's not been the easier path for me and i, I mean it happened when i was you know marrying morgan or when i knew that she was the one i was like oh it's awesome that i found the right person for me and then take a good hard look at her and i'm like yeah she's beautiful and but that's a lot of work like there's a lot of choices i could have made that were way more easy and casual and mellow mm-hmm. um but because I have that sort of commitment to what, if I believe it's the right thing to do and I, and I understand that, there's a very specific way that feels to me. It's like a very specific frequency or, or resonance. And when I know it, there's no, there is, it's very black and white. There's no option. There's no, and I've committed myself to more or less living that way. And lots of decisions don't, you know, when you're choosing a, a burger or a, or a hoagie, it's not that kind of thing. But for you, but, it was mostly the chicken tenders. Yeah, totally not, the tenders. But <laughs> the tenders for the. But the idea is that when when it does happen, it's it sometimes it is about things that don't appear to have you know world changing impact, but still, if it's the right resonance, then I know I know it's what I and the choice is almost like out of my hands. And that was the way it was in a lot of cases. And then once I'm committed to it, then I I try to you know make sure that I'm a hundred, hundred percent, you know, not 99, not 97, but a hundred percent committed to it. And there's, you know, just like we talked about, about pursuing excellence in an activity or sport or meditation or internally, whatever, it follows the exact same rules is like, there's so many intangible rewarding elements to it that are outside of what you'd expect just because the commitment is a hundred percent. And if that commit, I don't know, because I haven't done it very often, but if the commitment's 97, I don't think you get 97% of the the rewards or the emotion. I think it's almost like you get 10% or you get 2%, yeah. you know, whereas that last 2% of your own commitment, your own sort of um I guess focus or or um, you know, or intensity in the activity is what gives you that all the reward really at the end. So for me anyway, and I I assume it's probably different for for different people, but that's been one of those great things that I'm happy that i knew or learned or had as a pattern of mine because then with kids it and it takes away you know i talk to my kids about all the time it's like not lying is so much more relaxing because you never have to dodge around the fact that somebody knows you were lying or you know there's no yeah there's like so if you do it this way 
there's just no there's no it, your stress goes way down you know you're you're 100 percent in there's no there's so much less worry and it's a way it's a way more um authentic place for me to be so it's been uh it's been remarkable and, and you know and then when i tell them things i realize like there's all these weird like things that i've more or less known but don't you know communicating with a kid is similar to how you and i communicate there's when it's especially your child but really anyone's kids i have that like zero filter element where there's no there's nothing but the purest um conveyance of my of my information or whatever it is with nothing else attached to it and that's a you know that's a really nice way to operate generally. So mm -hmm. it adds this whole other sort of really pleasurable um, communication element. And it's, you know, it's, uh, like I said, the, the the list of intangible stuff that goes along with it besides, you know, the enjoyment of like we talked about watching your kids do fun things or watching them enjoy things or learn things is those are all sort of on the surface. And I think a lot of people get that. But um, but there's all these layers, as we said, like the more committed, the more dedicated you are to it, the more um, thorough your investment in it is the more the layers are there the more you get yeah i think <clears throat> so when i came to you and i was going to start on it and i wrote up this little business plan and we had we were eating shrimp cocktail and i gave you the plan and you thumbed through it for a, for about like a, like it was a picture i always describe it like it was like a one of those little flip books where mm. you do like a stick figure <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you like running. watch the stick figure run and like jump over a boulder or something like that you looked at it and you just looked me in the eye and he's like and you just asked are you gonna fucking do this you know are you gonna mm. are you gonna like commit and i was like yeah man i am and you're like okay cool and then you just put that thing aside and i was asking for sixty thousand dollars at mm. the time as the investment to start on it and i got yeah. another person to give me 50 and that's how we started on it but you were the first one to do it and it was really not a test of what my business plan was because my business plan was uh actually not going to work because i was mm -hmm. making hangover supplements that were not actually they were good but it wasn't yeah. the right business but nonetheless you bet on my commitment you know you bet on the fact that i was going to commit and it was about a three-minute conversation and then the idea for on it just came from exactly what we were talking about like the idea that every single person can reach mm -hmm. for like what their potential could be and that's what we used to say like oh i was on it you were mm -hmm. on it he was on it yeah. she was on it you know and that's where the fucking name came from like yeah. all of that was so like so much an in, inexorable part of this whole this whole journey but that was and you'll get that from entrepreneurs who have that advice you don't bet on the idea you bet on the people mm -hmm. and you bet on that like willingness to commit and you just bet that, that from everything that you knew about me in 2010 you're like all right if aubrey says he's gonna fucking do this yeah. like yeah well and that's that that was the 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 good part of our rapport was that like didn't take you didn't need to convince me you know i could yeah. tell by being there sitting there with you and yeah the business plan I mean, those change you know every second or minute but um but yeah i remember that that conversation and the the whole timing of it very well and uh yeah, it's exactly. I, I had no, I had no illusions that that it was going to be something different than it started out as. That's just natural. But, um, but yeah, we talked for quite a bit of time before that about you wanting to forge your own your own path and your own your own thing, something you owned and something mm -hmm. that you um, really put your put your heart into, something that would give you fulfillment from a economic and personal and spiritual standpoint. And, um, and like I said, it's it's funny because. It has nothing to do with the activity. It has nothing to do with the thing. You could have been starting a, a you know hair club for men or a fucking toothbrush <laughs> company or car company, but you know it was clear that you were at that threshold where you were ready to do it. And yeah, yeah. it was a pretty easy decision. So, 
Well, it's interesting too, is I, I think back and there's been this whole, you know, keto has become this massive thing in the last four years, somewhere around there. But I remember, sit, I remember at your house, you would talk about this for a while. You were fucking early on this mm-hmm. and you would go on these like two week, like keto, like keto fasts, yeah. you would call them or like, mm-hmm. Where you would just go into full ketosis, you would test your you would test your ketones, mm-hmm. and I remember you describing you're like, and I didn't really I didn't really buy it enough to try it at that point, but you were like you were on to some early shit, mm-hmm. you know, like that wasn't really out there, you know. No. How did I, you even how did you even fucking figure that out? Like you were you were on to some shit early. Yeah, I think I I talked to a guy in uh, a, a, actually a British guy who's um one of the smartest dudes on the planet and uh we'd been designing and, and messing around with nutrition and supplementation stuff pre-race and and in training and off season and and I mentioned to him that that I thought that the reason I didn't eat anything before I raced generally um was because something about the way my body shifted if once I got really used to it um was that I you know, obviously I was lighter. I felt lighter inside and I didn't, and I didn't throw up because I was so fired up or nervous before the start. But, um, but also I thought my body kind of shifted in some weird way. There was something happening mentally. And I, I sort of asked him about it and we had an ongoing conversation. He said, yeah, you know, you, you switch into more of a survival mode and activates different parts of your brain and does a bunch of stuff at a cellular level. And, um, you, your body in general, you know, on a micro level becomes much more efficient. You know, you don't, you don't waste anything. And, and he, he, we went, you know, at the time it was still, it was still keto, you know, more or less. I mean, from a scientific or medical side, that's what they called it. And, um, and he said, it's, it's absolutely useful for you, especially just mess with it. Just try, you know, go, go for this amount of time, limit your carbs dramatically or, or cut them out entirely. And then once you're testing yourself, you can kind of moderate those and stay within this zone and then mess around with it, go more extreme, you know, and, and play back and forth, check the durability or the, the duration, how long you want to do it for. And so I'd been doing it for a fair bit, um, you know, during that time. And it was crazy. It was, it's like anything, I mean, fasting or anything else, you know, when you start to, especially if you're fairly aware of your body or you don't mind committing time to sort of almost a meditative state where you're going inside and trying to check on what's happening. And I I recognized right away that I was a huge flushing component around my organs, like around the, the fat that was around my organs. If I did it for four or five days was different than if I did it for nine or 10 or, or 14. And that was mm-hmm. when the organ, the organ fat that surrounds all your organs was kind of, you know, flushing or being, being used up and, and, and utilized converting into ketones. And then, and then I could, it was no problem to, to be healthy. Um, I didn't feel ever like I was unhealthy in any way, but I was flushing all that out and, and getting rid of all the toxins and shit that were just kind of stored in the fat in there. And, and I, I recognized that and asked him about it. And he said that made sense. They hadn't really studied or, or checked on it too much, but that that made logical sense that a lot of the stuff in your organs where there's all that membranous tissue is kind of the fats where it's stored at and it's stashed there. And um, yeah, and it was, you know, once, once you start doing that, you kind of, you, like I said, it just draws you in. There's so much information in there that we don't really know or understand. And I thought once that happened, I got, Everyone says the the second brain, you know, your your gut is, um, you know, we have those gut feelings, to, mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of, and this was like it cleared up the communication there a lot. Like once I did those a bunch, I felt like I was listening to my body much more effectively. And some of it could have just been the practice of doing it, and I was listening harder. But also, I think there was some disturbances coming from all the bullshit that my body was storing in there and all this crap that was disrupting the signal. And it was much cleaner. It was like uh, Verizon versus. it's it's very much it's very much like on on brand with your entire your entire like way like 
you would push yourself and go and do some unhealthy things for mm-hmm. your body. But then you'd also knew like what the counterbalance was. Yeah. And the counterbalance for you at that point were these, you know, these keto stretches where you'd get really disciplined with what you ate. Mm-hmm. Like really like from your calorie restriction for from like the types of food that you would eat. And then it would like restore balance, restore this kind of equilibrium that could counteract some of these other things that you did. So you're one of the people that really taught me a lot about finding balance, not from staying in a narrow zone in the middle of mm-hmm. always being in shape and always eating perfect and always doing everything just right. But like, all right, I'm going to go way over here and I'm not going to be sleeping much and we're going to be fucking going for it and having fun, having the best time we possibly can. Then I'm going to go over here and I'm going to mm-hmm. work like harder and be more disciplined and, and find balance ultimately find the balance but find balance being able to touch with both range, extremes yeah, with range balance with range and scope and that's yeah that's the challenge is it's you know inherently it's easier if you're just on one tiny little deviation but um but yeah you're less i think the whole experience is less at yeah that you point. got way less out of life mm-hmm. you know and that was some that was a you know something you would joke about and and about all the other racers you know like they were not living a fraction of the life yeah. that you were yeah i wouldn't trade my my first 42 years i wouldn't trade it for anybody's i I had a you know there's always tough times and and not but i think that's you know optimizing and and maximizing and being efficient with your time and finding the balances and a lot of it's trial and error you know you have to you make mistakes but um but yeah i think that's that's really a sort of a if there's a tagline (laughs) to my to my run that's been it yeah (laughs) balance with extremes (laughs) yeah so there's been some real tragedy that you've had to deal with man I remember the first one I was, you know, still, we were still like really close as that happened. I mean, I knew, I knew your brother Chili and he's a fucking amazing dude, you know? And then one day he was just gone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it's, uh, I think he was probably, um, uniquely prepared in certain ways for that. He always said that he, he didn't think he was going to live to be 30, um, which was, you know, annoying to hear as a as a brother, or as a parent, or whatever. But um, I think he kind of approached it in terms of some, like I do, with a gut feeling, where he just kind of knew that he, and that allowed him to be um, very much himself. I mean, he sent it as well. He definitely mm-hmm. had, uh, you know, his, no st- his sticker says "send it like chili." I mean, that was um, that that people circulated after he passed away. But you know, he had that injury, and I think he he kind of went more deliberate at that point and that was he, a head injury yeah he was on a motor a little motorcycle just a little dinky old 1970s they were just scouting these hunting spots and and um had this total freak accident and clonked his head really hard and knew right away that he was in serious trouble and told he was awake that you know he didn't get knocked out but he told his buddy you know who was probably more like oh you'll be fine he was like call an ambulance i'm gonna pass out pretty soon and make sure they get my skull off is what he told his buddy so his buddy the first people that responded said he said that he needs his skull taken off or like something like that and he said it was super serious so they actually did rush him to the better hospital instead of taking him to the normal one where they did immediately realize what was happening and they took half his skull off and he was in a coma for you know a month and then um ended up more or less having a full recovery although the, the learning curve back was gnarly when he came out of his coma he more or less had to you know relearn speech and a bunch of crazy stuff and um insane for me to see you know as an athlete where i was more or less facing that daily you know that as a possibility mm-hmm. a possible outcome from racing but um but he recovered and we became way closer i took him to to um to the middle east for a trip where we really bonded and, and did a bunch of stuff after that um and uh 
and he 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 definitely at that point matured or shifted his whole perspective like do i want to do these things or how do i want to live and that was the first time i'd recognized that he was doing a lot of the same things i was doing from a different lens and hard to really understand somebody very well um you know in that way that's pretty deep thing even for brothers so um he he definitely realized that he did not want to live that kind of life where he was on these crazy medications anti-seizure medications to to deal with his his you know brain injury more or less and um he was like you know he sat us all down my whole family and was like look there's a good chance that i'm gonna die soon you know one of these seizures he's had a few you know over the course of like two years where he'd been experimenting with all these different medications and i was taking him to specialists and everything and he was um he was like look this is this is my this is my road and you guys have to respect my decisions. This is how I want to live and if I can live to be 70 or 100 great and if I don't at least I want to make sure that I'm doing it the way that that I uh, think is valuable and that you know leaves the most, you know, undone or unsaid or leaves leaves the least undone or unsaid and he mm-hmm. and he really it was it was remarkable. I mean, I've said it a bunch about tragedy that like it it defines a lot about people and how they operate and gives them good perspective and he he definitely showed that there and, and had a, you know, he lived another, um, six years and then, uh, yeah. And then one seizure just totally randomly with his buddies out in mammoth, you know, sleeping and, and just didn't wake up. So, um, you know, it was horrible to have to go through that with my mom more or less because a, a mother's suffering when they lose a child is, is just nothing you ever want to see or witness or be a part of. But we were all kind of, you know, in it together, which I think, you know, we lent support to each other as, as we needed it. And then, um, and as I said, I was, I think, uniquely positioned to be a, a rock for my family at that time because I had a bit more experience with putting myself through similar things. I mean, there wasn't one where where he died, but there was lots of ones where he almost died, where I was saving him, where I was, you know, and of course, those generally had happy endings. So that makes it a little less brutal. But while yeah. you're experiencing it, you had to experience it True. like you didn't know the ending. And um, so I, I'd sort of somewhat prepared myself for that. But then remarkably seeing his, we had a service for him, a celebration of life, which I think, you know, you and I have talked about a lot, the, our lack of, of systematic approach to, to life and death and our, our processing patterns and all that stuff, how pathetic we are in the U S but, um, but we had a celebration of life for him and it was just one of those, you know, real impressive life-changing things to see all these people that he'd impacted that, he never said anything about and they would never say anything about unless it was celebrating his his passing and hearing these crazy stories of his you know generosity or involvement or commitment to friends or you know sharing knowledge or experiences and stuff was was really i think empowering for my whole family and reinforced a lot of sort of how we operate how we've done things and and you know that kind of open commitment to to betterment of people in general and and uh without really looking for rewards in any way back and and uh so it was, you know, it was, it was obviously a, I think a pretty hard hit to the force, if you will, because he, he had, a, I think he had a lot more to do as well. I think he could have, he could have had an incredible impact and, and, um, you know, given a lot to me, our family, the world in general, but you know, there are things, things come and go. And I think what he did and the way it all happened is, is sort of like, you know, in a lot of ways, like an artist, you know, where they're not really appreciated until, until they're gone, you know, mm-hmm. and their art becomes more expensive or more appreciated. And mm-hmm. he was sort of that way where a lot of the things that he said to people needed him to be gone for it to really sink in and, and have the right impact on them. And I was certainly one of those people. Yeah. You had a, you had a crash where you crashed and then the ski cut your leg and almost cut your femoral artery, right? Like at that point, 
and I'm sure you've you've explored your own mortality many times because you're skiing 80 miles an hour down a sheet of ice like shit happens people die like was that was that particular crash a moment where you where you really like confronted that or was that just something that was more usual from the from the usual you know kind of mayhem that would ensue when you would crash yeah it wasn't it wasn't anything particular i mean i think um as i as you said I, i'd sort of explored that pretty thoroughly already by that point it was a fairly conscious decision daily to to continue doing what i did and that was the very very end of my career that was my last race and i could have continued to race if i was you know somewhat younger or somewhat tougher i probably would have just had them sew me up and race the next day because i was actually less beat up than i'd been after certain crashes where i'd race the next day and and uh and done fine and i was i was super fit at that time um in 2015 and and you know, I, I since I had my back surgeries and came back, I I hadn't lost. I, I won the training run in Kitzbühel. I won both training runs in Beaver Creek, and that was the Super G. And I was winning that one till the very bottom, where I crashed and my my hamstring got cut. Um, but while I was in there for for surgery, um, and I knew the doctor very well, and and I was awake, and you know, he was he had me bend my leg up, and I felt my hamstring, you know, the part that was disconnected, pull up into my, you know, high up into my hamstring. Yeah. It was pretty nasty, and. And he was like, look, he's like, that's the part of your hamstring that we would use for a graft for your ACL anyway, that tendon, the muscle, it's going to hurt now. It's going to feel like a really badly pulled hamstring because it just, it tore all the fascia between the muscles and went coiled all the way up at the top. And he said, look, I can pull it back down and, and reattach it. Um, but he's like, you'll, unless you think you're going to be a track runner or something, which I wasn't ever, <laughs> I'm slow <laughs> and white. Um, but uh, he's like, y- you could just leave it, you know? He's like, you don't have to do it. And I think at that moment was one of those times where I was like, I'd come back from my back surgery. I was, you know, whatever, 30, 37 years old or, or whatever. And, and I was like, not so much mortality, but I was like, this is, this is the end. I mean, I, I think I'd probably intended to be done after the Vale World Championships because my first World Championships was in Vale in 1999. And I just saw it as full circle kind of, and, and it was a good time to to walk away, even though I, I was still definitely capable of of winning. And I had a really good sort of easy, casual motivation at that time. And, um, but I just, I think laying there with my hamstring, I was like, you know, that was, it was literally a conversation in my head where I was like, I could just have him sew it up and be a total badass and go out and win tomorrow. And, you know, who knows, but I was like, or I can, you know, maybe not use it as an excuse, but I could also just as easily say, look, you know, I've, I've walked away from things that no one should really have business walking away from for a long time. And I've played with, played with fire on every aspect, on every plane, on every, on every playing field. Um, you know, I've, I've danced a, a pretty dangerous, dangerous jig. And uh, maybe this is a good time to, to take a, you know, take a bow and, and, and bail out. And I think it was, it was perfect. I mean, the timing was perfect. It was, you know, and so I had him, had him stitch the hamstring up. I blew it out trying to stop my cat from running out the door like two weeks later. So I recoiled back up into my ass and I had to deal with that all over again. But so I still don't have it. It's gone anyway. But, <laughs> but it was like, it was a true, like, you know, good, mature reflection on like, what have I done? Is there stuff left? It was the same thing I did in 09, mm. but with a much different perspective and more maturity, I think, and and uh, less of that freight train of momentum that I really felt like I had to get off. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, that that was, you know, it wasn't honestly that serious of an injury. Had it nicked my femoral artery or cut it really in half? I mean, as I told you there, I think it was, you know, heart rate's going 200 beats per minute and I'm, you know, two minutes into a course or whatever, I would have bled out in about a minute, you know, a minute mm-hmm. and a half, you're unsavable. So 
it would have been the end for sure. So and it not, came really close too. Yeah, right? oh, it, it actually did nick it a little bit. He could see it when he. I mean, thing was open. I, if you saw it, it was like a it was yeah. a mouth on the back of my leg. It was like yeah. Bleh. and uh, and you could see the femoral artery right there. It was it's tucked in behind your tendon that it cut the outside of the tendon and nicked that. And then if it had cut the next tendon, it basically goes right through there without any effort. So, um, but I, again, that wasn't. It really didn't have much to do with it. Um, it was more just. You know, I think it was more just the right time, but mm-hmm. it, it coincided with with a obviously what could have been the end. Yeah, let's talk about the the next tragedy, which was you know you lost a kid. Yeah, yeah, we lost my daughter in uh, 2018, and that was you know again one of those things that you just even knowing that you're not going to get out of this without losing the people you love and you know whether you go first or they go, it's it's inevitably going to be a hard road, and there's going to be some serious. Um, some serious emotional challenges and you know with kids like i said when you're 100 percent committed i don't honestly think that's an area where there's really much deviation even if i mean i'm sure some people don't even like their kids but still when you when you lose one there's a fundamental dna type response that's like more or less debilitating you go through these really strange um experiences from psychological to hormonal to um you know i i think they're almost cosmic in certain ways like like the disruption in the force, but like in a really personal way where you actually feel something like go wrong and lose something that was there and you didn't really even maybe recognize that it was there and was a, you know, an element of, of love or surety that's there and then it's just stripped away and you feel all of a sudden completely freaked out in a lot of different ways. Um, but I think at that time, again, and it's probably one of the things that I've been gifted that I take for granted is that because I was more prepared for it and because people needed somewhere to turn everyone from our whole community to my family and everybody else that I inherently fill that role. And by filling that role, I come into more of a, you know, defer my own, my own emotions for the time being, be solid for everybody else. And that can be good and bad. If you're not capable of at the same time processing simultaneously and being that, then I think it can be really bad. You can internalize stuff and, and just, you know, break yourself in a lot of ways. But because I sort of was having to be a role model or be a be the anchor for everybody else. And part of that anchor, part of the thing I was trying to lead people in was processing the grief and getting through it and and understanding that we have to continue, that life goes on and that, you know, there's no blame. There's no, you know, no, you have to let go of all the toxic stuff that goes along with any loss like that. And um, and because of that role that I sort of find myself in often in in any kind of traumatic situation. Um, it gave me the time, you know, you just need time at a certain point, you need a certain amount of time to pass where you can kind of process and, and reacclimate to what's normal and, and get used to what's happening inside your body with this, this thing kind of stripped away or, or ripped out that, that, um, you didn't even really recognize before. So that whole process I think was, was, uh, incredibly informative for me personally, just because you see how, how raw your emotions really are it gives you the perspective if you just love your kids you're like oh, i love them I, you know i would i would die for them or whatever you can make these you know bold statements until the test is actually there um but when something like that actually happens you definitely have a reflection point of like the reality of that like what is it and what is the actual connection and what what is your level of commitment and and unfortunately you know the more you give the more it hurts when when it's um you know taken away so it was it was pretty much you know I've gone through a lot and it was definitely the gnarliest thing I've ever gone through. And, um, and I don't, I don't know that we would have made it as a couple or as, you know, individuals had, had we not had 
the preparation that we had, you know, with my brother or with me racing World Cup or, you know, and again, it's not not to say that I'm not really a believer in fate and stuff like that. But in that sense, we were uniquely equipped to deal with that in a way that um, in the end, I think, made us all better. I mean, definitely made us better as parents and, and you know, as spouse spouses or, or partners and things. And, um, you know, as you know, I, I hate to try to treat it like you're looking at the silver lining because things like that, there really isn't, isn't too much, but mm. inherently, you know, when you're faced with shit like that, you got to be like, all right, you know, what are my options? You know, are there other options? You know, yeah. you, there's certainly like, you know, that desire to end it all and just be done with it. Cause it hurts a lot. But, um, but at the end of the day, if, if you're, if you're not, if that's not, you know, one of your go-tos, then, <clears throat> then you try to make what you can out of it, learn what you can out of it and, uh, and keep going. And it was, you know, again, as it doesn't get much gnarlier than that in terms of, where you need your discipline, where you need your thought control, your emotion control, and how to how to actually do that correctly, because there's no template, unfortunately. And as you know, people always spout off on random ten step, twelve step bullshit things, and like maybe people do need a template, but the reality is, at the end of the day, you have to you have to approach it somewhat logically and systematically, and and make sure that you're not putting yourself in a place where you're never going to heal or never going to be you know right. healthy again, or you're doing undue damage to yourself. And I think. We were we were really good at that as a group, and um, I'm sure there's there's plenty of scar tissue there still to be discovered. But um, but yeah, it was a was a horrible time. But at the same time, one of those things where you know you really don't know what you have or how to appreciate things, unfortunately, until you've until you've experienced those type of losses. You know, it's like it is a it's a rare gift that you'd never want anyone to have but once you have it you definitely see things from a different light yeah i mean it's a it's stoicism at the most extreme bleeding edge of that and there's some practicality to it because you know we all have swimming pools you know and that's you know that's where your daughter lost her life mm-hmm. she was just i mean i don't know the exact details yeah she, she was in our neighbor's pool i was up with my with my older daughter at softball and my wife went over to our neighbors which we do all the time and um yeah and she she somehow got out the back door and, and just probably just jumped in the pool which is the scary thing is like you know she'd always jumped in the pool and i'd always been there to catch her or she'd had a life jacket on or whatever and this time she didn't and um you know at 19 months old you just you know from a perspective standpoint we've made a you know a pretty strong effort to educate people of like you know she could she could swim at that age if, if we taught her we just didn't teach her because it's not what we do in this country or, or really globally. And, you know, now we sort of believe, look, if your kid can move around, if they can crawl, they should be able to float when they get in the water. Like then they can, you can teach them. It doesn't take them much mm-hmm. time at all. They're happy to be learning new skills and they, you know, they cry a little <coughs> bit, but they can float and they can, they can float in full clothes. You know, they just flip over on their back and, and back float until they can yell and make noise until they get rescued. They can float for 10 minutes. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not hard for them. They're buoyant little, little creatures at that point. And then just beyond that, if they can walk, you can easily teach them to swim. So then they mm-hmm. flip over on their stomach, paddle to the edge, and climb right out of there. And, you know, that's just one of those things where, you know, it's a very harsh uh, self-analysis to be like, that was a fail. You know, we, we failed her in that. We should have we known or taught her. I mean, it's, it's not a mystery that that's an element of risk for all of us. And, and, you know, unfortunately, in the hectic life of a parent, you just can't look at every single thing. But certainly that's an area where, um, you know, afterwards I definitely beat myself up because I assume that I'm the person who can think of everything or at least sure. very close to everything. And in that case, it was a very glaring oversight on my part that resulted in, in you know, a horrible tragedy. So, you know, it's, but again, that's, you know, part of the, the lesson too is you, you know, you can't, you can't do it all. You can't do it all right. And I, I've, I've failed at, you know, 
one or two things in my time. So <laughs> it was another, you know, just a harsh, harsh example of, of when you fail. Sometimes the consequences are so severe and, you know, it helps you to revisit and be like, it's, it's worth it to pay attention. It's worth it to really invest just like I do with committing to specific things, but doing it on a broader scale, like committing to everything at literally maximal effort. And, you know, I think that's ultimately that's, that's what I've sort of taken away from it is like, like you said, you, you don't know what you can do until you, you, know, you don't know what you don't know. You know, you don't know mm -hmm. what you can actually do until you are making the maximal effort. Cause at 97%, you might get nothing. And then at 90 at hundred percent, you get it all. So mm -hmm. That kind of opened my eyes to that and you know of course i'm sure i'm going to keep failing but the idea is the the same you know you gotta gotta take what you can from from even the shittiest situations yeah it's uh i mean i'm sure there's people listening who've lost lost kids lost people they've loved and i think the way that you're describing the process is you know you gotta grieve you gotta feel the mm -hmm. things you gotta learn the things you gotta but you can't can't stay stuck on that forever like you can't beat yourself up for the rest of your life over this over this failure you acknowledge it fuck we're we're fallible mm -hmm. we're gonna fuck shit up you know we're gonna make mistakes and like if we ruin our lives you know, that's just another it's another it's a second death you know it's like yeah. you're, you're giving up your life yeah. too the weird you know? thing that i i was was strange and that i'd i'd honestly i attribute the psychedelic experiences to is that you go into this crazy ass thing where you deny time. Like it's the only time that I've seen Morgan do it, where she would, she would beat herself up over and over and over again, trying to figure out how to have it not happen, which from a logical standpoint, we know chronological time more or less works in one direction. And there just was no logic to it. You can't go back and fix it now. That was, that already happened, but you, you deny it in your mind. Something is so powerful in there that you just, and so you constantly go through this exercise it's totally futile and like leads nowhere but but gloom and doom and grief you know over and over again but i've seen now you know with lots of people just unbelievably stuck in that position and like i remember from a lot of these times where i was on mushrooms or ayahuasca or, or peyote or whatever and being like understanding time from a different perspective like you 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 put yourself in one mode you can stay there forever your, your body will age chronologically more or less but you can stay stuck in one exact moment for as long as you mentally have the fortitude to do that. And that's, that was a really crazy thing to see for in real life with no other stuff except loss, you know, loss and grieving and, and sadness. It was keeping her in one, she was in one moment stuck for weeks and weeks and weeks. And that, you know, again, being able to describe that to her and be like, look, this, that you have to get away from that moment because the, the further away from it doesn't make, make it less. It's not, you know, there's nothing you have to honor her and, and the memory and all the stuff by continuing forward. That is the obligation. What you're doing is hiding from it, even though you're hiding in that moment because you're afraid of what's going to happen if you move forward. And that, you know, that was, again, little bits of things that I gathered throughout that time of, of uh, you know, experiencing more or less outside of time type stuff. And, you know, again, a huge, huge tool to have in your toolbox at those moments. Yeah. <clears throat> Wow, man, you've lived, you know, you look at the, you look at your life and, uh, and look back, like you fucking lived some life. You yeah. really, you really lived some life, <laughs> you know, it's been full. It's been full, it's been full of all, all sorts of, of stuff, all of the things, all of the, the full spectrum, the full spectrum, you know, like the full range of like the greatest glory to the greatest grief to the, you know, it's, it's just kind of it seems in some ways why, why you came is to experience like the most. 
Yeah, and I, and I, 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 I don't take it for granted. You know, I feel no. very lucky that, you know, while it sucks when it goes south on you, it's you know I would have it no other way. So yeah. I think, um, you know, and hopefully I can be that example for other people too, because I think it's it's an overlooked or underappreciated um, aspect is that you gotta you gotta be willing to take the risk and you gotta be willing to to take the bad hands when they're dealt and and keep charging and you know. But yeah, it's uh has been a ride, and yeah, I mean we have a lot left, you know. No doubt, uh, man. No doubt. What would happen if we played chess right now? I don't know. I <laughs> I, I played with my six year old a fair bit, so <laughs> that's a slight advantage. But I don't know if you're getting the competition that's really we had some good you. battles. We had some. I that's actually the that's actually the the one time I can remember us getting in a fight. So yep. just, uh, somehow we got mad enough we were mad at yep. each other for like fuck, a good fuck th- this like three four yeah. hours because we were playing chess i think we were in the amazon yeah like, it was like an ayahuasca trip we got lots of downtime and we were just fucking just the same way we went at each other on the basketball totally we we're going at each other and we don't have quite enough skill neither one of us are no. great chess players no but we can just kind we're of fairly evenly matched we're very yeah. evenly matched yeah and it's like chess is a great a great analogy for life because when somebody pulls a sneaky move on you, you really do feel like they tricked you. <laughs> like I think that's what I was upset about was I was like, you fucking tricked me. And that is rude and not something friends do. And you know, basketball, there's no trickery. You can do a sweet move and it's kind of trickery, I guess, but it's different. And this was like deception. And I was like, not cool, dude. I pouted about it for a few hours and then I resolved it. That's funny, man. Well, shit onward you know onward with this fucking crazy beautiful thing called life yeah yeah no no shit i think we're in a we're in an interesting time now again like i said i very much look back and appreciate all the experiences because puts me in a unique spot now to do some some great stuff you know they they a lot of people call it the second mountain of like what Mm -hmm. what it is actually that you're doing you know besides the shit you did when you were young and you know self-motivated and whatever and i had a slightly different approach to that but it is what it is and now we're starting to talk about you know all these things these tools that we have or that we've developed or the capabilities of people or humans and and what you know taking some responsibility we're at the age now where it's not so much that like who are these people that run the world or run the countries or you know make the rules and we kind of are becoming those people and Mm -hmm. you know it's i think it's daunting for a lot of people because they're like well shit, i barely know what what i'm doing you know and I certainly have moments where I feel that exact thing. But at the same time, I realize that I'm uniquely prepared or uniquely equipped with different skill sets to to share and steer people in, in better directions and start to, you know, start to be able to take full accountability in the public eye of of what practices allowed me to be successful in both my sport, you know, in, in little bits, you know, personally or whatever, and uh and be able to sort of share that knowledge and you know for the better good, you know. For, yeah. for for everybody for and i think you know as we've talked about the the majority of that is honestly is in your mind it's all about how you approach things and and what you recognize and where you set your limitations both personally and for your friends and family and kids and and the rest of the world as well all the all the people so i think we're in a phase now where we're shifting into this knowledge and awareness you're seeing more and more very intelligent mainstream people talking about psychedelics and talking about the you know, sort of whether they're saying the words or not, expanding their tools, their tool set, you know, how they deal with certain things and understanding their, you know, expanding their knowledge of, of what's happening, where the actual challenges are. I mean, most of the people want to label a challenge the most convenient term that fits. And I don't think they're, those are very appropriate a lot of the time. I think we're facing a, 
you know, a global um, disconnectivity that that's causing, you know, it's the root of all the problems and, and, uh, you know, being able to sort of articulately talk about that and, and have solutions instead of just being like, oh, this sucks. We're, we're all pulling in different directions. We all hate each other. Like, you know, I think there's, there's some really cool stuff there and I'm hoping that, um, you know, connecting with some really, some of those sharp people, which I've been more or less disengaged for a while just because of family and stuff and obligations. And I always have to walk that line and balance that out. But, um, but yeah, I feel like we're in a time now where there's a lot of really smart, sharp people motivated to, to see progress. And I think that progress is, is really in the greater good for, for everybody. So I'm, I'm psyched about that. And I, you know, here I am 42 and, um, you know, totally, totally psyched and totally motivated to, to sort of have that, that next impact. Yeah, man. And it feels like the, if you're just, <clears throat> if we're tapping into that, that field of resonance, it feels like we're both now being drawn together again yep. to explore what the second mountain is. So totally. Yeah. And, you know, never going to have a lot of free time, either one of us, that's not, not the way we operate, but just got to um, be maximum efficiency. Exactly. That's what, <laughs> maximum that's what demands effort, maximum. maximum efficiency. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think, you know, we've, I think we've both consciously reconnected a bunch over the years, trying to test the water, see if that's the time, see if it's, things are coming back together in a way where we can reconnect and, and combine forces, you know, cause if we do, I think it's a, it's an absolute powerhouse and, uh, proven so in the past there it has. Um, and yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think, you know, and the good news is we still have some runway left, you know, that's, that. that's, that's critical. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an exciting time for me. And, uh, you know, the good thing is, even though you don't have a bunch of kids, I'll share mine so you can get some of that experience because I do <laughs> yes. think there's huge value there. I think yeah. you know, even borrowing them for just a minute and just connecting <laughs> with them, I think you'll you'll see a lot of the same stuff. And I, I, I'm not a big believer that you have to physically, you know, procreate. I think just kids in general, the whole concept is more or less universal. I connect with all kinds of kids. I'm mine, seeing it mine with my other sis- I'm seeing it with my sister's kids. You know, she's got two kids now. Mm-hmm. Casey's five and bonnie's you know just about to turn a year yeah so it's it's cool to it's cool to see that and uh and who knows who knows what my future will yeah. hold you know yep. i know you've got the practice and you know how to do it <laughs> i have been practicing for many years <laughs> yeah well i love you brother you too yeah my man thanks everybody peace i hope you guys enjoyed this podcast with bodie miller as much as i enjoyed sitting down and having this chat with him He's one of my favorite people in the whole universe, and I'm glad that you guys got a chance to meet him. If you want to follow him on Instagram, go to Miller Bodie on Instagram. And once again, just to reiterate, if this is during the month of May, we have the semi-annual sale going on at Onnit. So go to onnit.com slash Aubrey, and you'll find something awesome on sale.